This is the first time Jamie's ever had a false start. He's getting tricky. That's real? That's real. We're live. Shane Dorian, how are you, brother? What's going on? I'm doing great. Thanks. Thanks for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, My pleasure. You know, um, you come highly recommended by my friend Ben O'Brien, who's an awesome dude. And apparently you guys had a great time in uh, New Zealand uh, bow hunting. Yeah, and, I love uh, Ben. He's very, uh, he's very Texas. And, yeah, uh, yeah. We had a really good old time down there. Um, you know, I'd never been to, uh, I'd never been to New Zealand for hunting before. I'd been there for surfing, so it was really cool to go and see different parts of the country and do some hunting out there. We did some backcountry stuff. Surfing there is it as dangerous as surfing in Australia? As far as like sharks? Uh, no, not as dangerous. I'd say. You know, there are there are sharks there. It's pretty close to Australia. It's only like a one hour flight. So yeah, that's what know, I was thinking. Same like... sharks are are over there, but I don't I don't know. I don't really think of sharks as as much there's no uh you have a you have a total radical fear of sharks huh? fuck yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's awful they're scary scary creatures man i'm For fucking real. horrified how yeah, close have you, you come to be. them you should be um very close <laughs> uh, yeah i got bumped off my board when i was a kid oh no surfing at a place uh you know sort of near my house but the water was the 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 sand was black so yeah, like I really couldn't, the, the water's actually clear, but the sand was black. So it bumped me and I never really got to see what it was, but I'm pretty sure it was a shark. And uh, there's a lot of sharks in Hawaii, a lot of sharks, wherever the waves are good, it seems like there's a lot of sharks, man. Yeah. Well, that's not a coincidence, is it? I don't know, man. They're just everywhere. Yeah. They're crazy as, you know, it's funny about sharks is I was, I was, there's, you know, I, I, growing up, I always thought, you know, the only real sharks I had to worry about were, you know, great whites. And, you know, I was born and raised in Hawaii. That's, that's where I grew up surfing. And, um, you know, I always thought, like, great white sharks are always in, like, really cold places. I don't really have to worry it around home. And they've been finding a ton of great white sharks around, you know, where I live now. They're, they're all over Hawaii now. And um, uh, great white sharks are actually warm-blooded. So they can actually um, – they can totally adjust their, their – uh, I, guess, I guess their body temperature to be able to – to totally survive and thrive in warm water as well as cold. So they just go wherever the hell they want. <laughs> yeah. Every time I go to Hawaii, whenever I turn on the news, the local news, some dude got bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How often does it happen there? Pretty often. There's a lot of <laughs> sharks. And you, you know what's funny is it never used to happen when I was a kid. It wasn't even really a thought for me. I mean, I was scared of sharks and all that stuff, but people didn't really get start getting chomped until I was a little bit older. Uh, in the last in the last ten years, there's been tons and tons of shark attacks in Hawaii. Uh, a, a friend a friend of mine, Bethany Hamilton, she's a really really talented surfer. She got bit. She got her arm chomped right off her body. Oh, that she girl, was like that really young girl. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In Kauai, surfing perfect waves out with her friend, and shark came up and just ripped her arm right off her body. <sighs> How yeah. gangster is she that she just gets right back on the board? And she survived. She's badass. Yeah. She's super badass. She she actually um, surfed some of the biggest waves. Uh, all year last year, she got towed into a place called Jaws on Maui and was surfing 50-foot waves with one arm, um, you know, getting pounded by giant waves. And she, she paddles into some huge waves with one arm. Wow. Yeah, and gets held underwater with one arm. That's I, I, incredible. I imagine getting held under from a, a giant wave underwater, you know, like trying to, you know, j- just, I mean, I know people who are terrified of surfing big waves with two arms. And, you know, they're underwater wanting a breath, and uh, she's under there with one arm. Imagine having, like, your arm tied to your side and having to try and swim to the surface in big waves. It's pretty scary. Now, when you get hit by a big wave like that and you get sucked under, how long are you under normally for? Uh, usually a pretty pretty short amount of time, but it really varies. Um, 
you know, the, the, the worst thing about surfing really big waves and the, we've had a lot of people die surfing big waves and it is super dangerous. Um, the thing that kills people is getting held under for two waves. So if you fall on a wave, like if you take off on a wave and you fall and you're underwater for a super long time, and this has happened to me a couple different times, um, you're underwater really far and then you start, you know, the wave holds you under and is rolling you along the reef towards the shore and you're underwater near the bottom or at the bottom. And then the wave just starts to dissipate and lose a little bit of power so you can finally start swimming up. And then the next wave is meanwhile, it's on its way and you're swimming up, swimming up and the wave's coming at you. And you don't get a breath, and the wave takes you straight back down, and, that, and that's how people die. <sighs> yeah, that's scary shit. So, how long um, have you been held under for? Um, about a minute and ten seconds. It's a long time. The only reason I know that is because uh, I had a terrible wipeout at a at a big wave place in Northern California called Mavericks. Um, it was my first first trip ever there, and I was having this awesome trip. It's like. You know, it's one of the best big waves in the world. I always wanted to go there, but I was pretty scared of it. And, and I ended up going there and having a, the first day I was there was super good. I had a, I had a blast. I didn't fall once. I had a, just had a, like a dream session, caught all these big waves, thought I was killing it. Next day, it just absolutely smashed me. I took off on a wave, ate shit down the face, got sucked over the falls, held under forever on the reef. And I was swimming towards the surface. And the next wave was like a 50 foot face, broke right on top of me, shoved me straight back down to the reef. And what, like, as I was swimming up to try and get a breath, I was doing those involuntary, you know, when you're going mm -hmm. like that. And I was like, shit, I got to get a breath now. And then all of a sudden I was at the bottom. And, uh, yeah, it was really scary, but the scariest, scariest time of my life. And, and, and um, meanwhile, meanwhile, there was a woman on a boat and she was filming the whole ordeal. My board was like, they call it tombstoning, where you can only see half your board and then you're, and there's a leash, right? And you're connected to the bottom. And the board was like this, you know, you can only see half the, half the board for like, and the next wave passed me by and my board was still like that for over a minute. It was like a minute and 10 seconds. It weighed way too long. <sighs> wow. That's a, it's hard to hold your breath for a minute. Just doing nothing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Holding your breath for a minute while you're struggling and also your adrenaline's kicking yeah. in, you're freaking out yeah. and you're realizing that you, you got to get some air soon. Oh Yeah. Yeah, and and that's when you know. I mean, that's the the whole thing is is uh, you know learning about breath hold. The the whole thing that speeds up your 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 breath hold is is uh, or I, I I should say shortening your breath hold is panicking. Yeah. You know, once you if you're able to stay stay calm and know that you're going to be okay, you know, you don't use up your breath very very fast. But if you start to panic, it's like it's like flooring the gas and yeah. it just speeds up the whole thing and. Um, so panicking is the last thing that you want to do. But when you're really terrified, that's what happens to everybody. There's a big connection between jujitsu and surfing. A lot of people that I know that love jujitsu also love surfing. And they do it all the time. Same. And um, that breath thing is uh, something that comes into play in both situations. Because yeah. if you're in a bad position, uh, like if someone's choking you or something like that, you can relax and stay calm and kind of barely get out of things. Whereas if you freak out and you start, <gasps> you start yeah. hyperventilating or panicking, you just you, you just have to tap. You run out of gas, you run out of air, and then the choke sinks in deeper. And some people are just really good at surfing, and for some reason that like Hicks and Gracie is a famous example. He's really good at yoga, which is also really big for controlling your breath and staying calm and regulating your heart rate. And then he's also, you know, obviously a master at jujitsu, but he loves surfing. And yeah. uh, I think 
in some way those things are kind of connected that you have to sort of maintain some sort of control yeah. over your physical body. Yeah, for sure. And you know, and, and you know, I think um, you know, knowing knowing how long you can hold your breath, um, especially under pressure, especially with a high heart rate, is the key. Mm. Um, you know, I, I I did a breath holding course. It was like a, it was actually a specifically tailored to surviving big waves. Uh, this course I did was four days long, and the first couple of days they just they just kind of taught us the science behind breath hold, you know, and how to get your breath hold up. And then they basically uh, worked our our way up to our highest static hold, <clears throat> and then from there we had to hold our breath for a quarter of that time under stress. Hmm. So when you take a breath hold course, like what are they teaching? Uh, just the science, of, you know, behind how how some people can hold their breath for a long time and some people can't. And, you know, the difference between the, it's, it's, it's basically psychological. It's all in your mind. Really? Um, oh yeah, it definitely is. I mean, if you think you can hold your breath for, like if right now you tried to hold your breath for, and you could only make it a minute, for sure you can hold your breath for three, hundred percent. It's all in your mind. Like if you believe that you're going to be fine, it just, you know, your body tells you that you need to breathe. Um, like on a, for that course, I think the first day I tried to hold my breath, um, and I'm in relatively good shape and I never, ever practice holding my breath at all. But, you know, I have you know, pretty good lung capacity because I, I was training all the time, especially at that time. Um, the longest I could hold my breath the first day was like two minutes and 15 seconds or something like that. And then by day, the end of day three, I was holding it for five minutes and 34 seconds. Whoa. Yeah. That's crazy. So yeah. it's just techniques and understanding. Yeah, it's all technique. What is like the world record? Wasn't it, wasn't that fucking magician guy? Didn't he break the world record? Like seventeen minutes or something like that. I'll pull Eggy, but yeah. But didn't he, he did do some, something weird yeah, where he yeah. sucked in pure yeah. oxygen or some yeah, cheating bullshit? It's night and day. Yeah, you can't it's basically do that. Twice. I, I think it gives you like, um, from from what I I think that's about twice as long as as like a world record holder can actually hold their breath. Oh. Um, I think he was packing oxygen. It's totally different. He was breathing up with pure oxygen for like a long time, and oh. it totally you know it's basically like it like doubles your breath hold yeah there it goes 17 minutes and 4.4 seconds it's badass it's pre pretty incredible I mean, even with the yeah oxygen uh, yeah you know i mean no matter how 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 you slice it that's a long ass time to not breathe so he held the record for oxygen assisted static apnea which that would means, be yeah holding your breath while breathing after breathing pure oxygen that would be super handy for my job Pure oxygen? <laughs> no, being able to hold your breath for 17 yeah. minutes. Fuck yeah, man. You'd be yeah. like, fuck these waves. These yeah. waves ain't got shit on yeah, me. Yeah, just, I'm just going to swim to the bottom and kick it. <laughs> Have you seen that product that they came up with? It's a bullshit fake product, but apparently people have spent like a million dollars on this thing trying to buy it. It's a fake, like a gill machine. They came up with this thing that allows you to breathe. It's total bullshit. It's fake. But there was like these ads saying that it allows you to breathe underwater and it looks like like a scuba mouthpiece, but it's just got like it looks like two tampons on each side. <laughs> oh god. And this stupid thing doesn't work at all. It doesn't do anything. But apparently it's this giant scam and there was this article wow. about how people have spent like all this money on this fake thing that doesn't even exist. It's yeah, crazy what people it right buy. There. It's absolutely nuts what people actually buy. This oxygen masks allows underwater breathing without oxygen tanks, but it's total bullshit. So I don't understand where the money went or how it. See if you can find an article of like what the fuck went wrong. 
But is a it bunch supposed of people... to be like sucking oxygen out of the ocean? Yeah. Like, how ridiculous is that? Like, people thought that they were fish. Oh, yeah, that's all you need is this thing. You breathe in through those and you pull out through that, but it's a total scam. It's and like, if you order in the next 59 seconds, we're going to throw a second one in for half the price. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it would be cool if someone could come up with something like that, but that's just not how it works. It is bizarre, though, that there are things that breathe air out of the water. They can find a way to suck air yeah. out of the water. Like, yeah. life is very bizarre if you look at it that way. Yeah, very bizarre. And then you pull them onto the deck of the boat, and they're like... <gasps> Yeah, yeah, and then you put us underwater, and yeah. it's the opposite. We start panicking immediately. Yeah. So the shark thing, what did they attribute it to anything? The reason why they've been biting more people lately? Yeah, it's super debatable, though. You know, like a global warming type thing. Yeah, there's all types of stuff like that. There's you know, there's a lot less fish than it used to be. And then oh. the other thing is, you know, the thing I think is a is a huge component is is like in the '60s, if someone got bit, they would do a shark call. Like they, like people will get pissed, you know, some little girl get bit and then all the fishing boats would go out and kill a ton of sharks. And that's what happened in Hawaii. You know, there was, I think in the sixties, there was, there was some shark attacks and, um, there was a huge shark call. Like people would just go out and kill as many sharks as they could. And so it decimated the shark populations in Hawaii. And then, and then they were, uh, and then they were protected in like the seventies and eighties. So now there's this mega shark, shark population because they're protected. You know, you're not really supposed to kill sharks, so there's an overabundance of big sharks. I wonder if people would be the same if there was dragons. Would we protect dragons? We're, we're retarded. Yes. We really yes. are retarded. For sure we would, 100%. Like, you're not going to wipe out the fucking sharks, folks. Just relax. <laughs> Just kill them all around where people are. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy that they figured out, like, you know, I mean, technology for every single thing, but they don't have some sort of, you know... I was I was thinking it'd be so, you know, like with in this day and age, like we can do the craziest shit with technology. Like, why can't they put buoys around a surf break with like some weird magnetic thing that shoots down to the bottom of the ocean at that, you know, where it's like 30 feet deep, you know, like a half mile out from the break. And then everyone can swim there. Everyone can surf there, whatever the hell it is. Like, how come they don't have that? It right. seems so basic. It does seem like something they could figure out how to do, like some sort of an electronic fence. Yeah, it keeps exactly. them out. Yeah, <clears throat> like, it, like they have that for your dog. Yeah, you, know? you can put that in your yard, and the dog can't go past it. But it'll probably give you dick cancer. You know, they'll probably find out shark dick. Yeah, all these, <laughs> all these surfers will start getting dick cancer, and everybody go, "What the fuck? Oh, it's the fence. It's the fence." <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can't. Yeah, yeah, we can't put up the magnetic fence because all the shark, all the all the sharks will get dick cancer, and then. Yeah, if sharks get dick cancer, that, then PETA will get upset at you. It's game over. Yeah, yeah, become a huge issue. <laughs> I'm not a fan of sharks. I don't like them. They scare the fuck out of me, and that's what's keeping me from surfing. Because yeah. surfing looks like it's fucking awesome. Yeah, I see guys like you on those big waves. I don't know about the big waves. That That's beyond me, I believe. It, it, even when I was young, I, I don't think I would ever. Like, this this kind of shit, that's not, I'm not designed for that. <laughs> that's not fun looking? Nah, nope. That's not me. We're looking at a photo for people who are listening. We're looking at an image. Is that you? Who's who is that? That's me. Oh Jesus, dude! Tell me about this. <laughs> it looks like I'm falling off a building. Doesn't it, looks, it? it looks like you're falling off several buildings stacked yeah, yeah. on top of each other. I'll tell you what. That 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 actual moment right there. It actually felt like I was falling off a building. It was a. It was a um, I was absolutely sure I was eating shit right there. So, and you didn't? Um, I didn't. Yeah, it was a miracle. I actually uh, fell from the top and landed on my board and made the wave. And it was oh a, my it god! It was a big wave at a, at a wave uh, off the north coast of Maui called Jaws. Yeah. 
How high is that wave? Probably 50 feet on the face. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe more. Maybe 60. So you're falling off the top of the wave. Like it breaks and you're coming over the lip. Or the yeah. mount, what would you call it? What do you call the, the edge of the wave yeah. like that? Yeah, call the, it lip. the lip? Yeah, I'm falling from the lip. But the cool thing is you're doing it with your hands, you know? Like you're doing it with your bare hands. Like this wave comes in and you have to read the wave, you have to time it, you have to position yourself. So you, so you have to catch it in the steepest part yeah. right before it throws over like that because if it throws over, you're eating shit. So, you know, you got to, it's just, it's so precise, you know, to be able to time it on a giant wave like that, especially like the bigger the wave is, the faster it moves. So it gets really, really technical. So... You know, if you successfully ride one of those waves, it's a lot of fun. I would imagine it gets super addictive when you're in that tube and you're slicing yeah. through it and you see the water oh, yeah. going over the top yeah. of you. Yeah, God. it is. It is so much fun. It's like, um, it is, it's such a blast. It's, um, it's super addicting. I, you know, I, I've been surfing since I was, I've been surfing on, on a surfboard standing up since I was five. On my oh fifth my birthday, God. I got a surfboard from my dad and, um, I'm still totally obsessed with it. It's weird. There's nothing else in my life like that where I'm absolutely psyched. Like when the waves are good, I'm I'm like a little kid still. What is it about it? Dude, it's like it's like hunting. It really is. It's like I'm out in nature, no one's bothering me. I don't need to talk to anybody. I can go do my own thing. I can go down the beach, no matter how shitty of a day I had, no matter how much stress, whatever. Like if my kid's getting a bad report card or I had to pay my taxes or whatever the hell it was, I can just put on my trunks, drive down to the beach, grab my board, and I'm good. And as soon as I hit the water, I'm fine. And it, and that's how I am with bow hunting. And people who don't bow hunt, they don't understand that. They're like, why the hell do you do that? Like, what do you what do you find, you know, like, what do you find good about that? Like, being out in the forest for days at a time. It's the same thing. Well, I, obviously, I've never surfed. But the bow hunting thing is it's so difficult and so primal. And I think it hits some weird ancient switches yeah. inside your DNA from back when people needed a bow and arrow to survive. Yeah. And when you were hunting an animal... It, I mean, it's, it's also, it's so primitive. Like there's something about rifle hunting that's not nearly as satisfying. Rifle hunting is, it's all exciting and it's, it's way more effective and you certainly have, you, you have more success and there's more range to yeah. it and all that, but it's not nearly the same feeling. There's a switch that goes off that I think is like a part of being a human being from the thousands of years of us shooting bows yeah. and arrows at things to stay alive, yeah. that, that, that reward is like triggered somehow or another deep inside whatever it is that makes you a person. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's a, uh, you know, it all comes down to the moment of truth. You work so hard for that opportunity, whatever it is, an elk or a deer or whatever the hell it is, and and you bust your ass and you're on your hands and knees in the hot sun, or you know, you're over there freezing your ass off in the dark waiting for it to get to get light, and, and you pack all your shit from the trailhead for miles, and all this hard work and all the thousands of arrows you shoot at your target, and then all of a sudden it comes down to this this millisecond where the elk stops in front of you yeah, and you're sitting there at full draw and it's like the moment of the truth, you know, it's, it's super technical and really difficult and a lot of people suck at it and that's why it's so <laughs> rad. You know? Yeah. It's very technical. And that is something that I just never took into account when I saw people shooting bows and arrows. I'm like, Oh, yeah. your left arm straight, your right arm pulls back. Yeah. You make sure you aim, you let it go. And it seems like kind of like a rifle, you know, with a rifle, what do you do? You center the reticle, you know, you, you squeeze the trigger, make sure you don't yeah. jerk it, you're good. Yeah. 
there's so much more yeah. involved in the the anchoring of where the string hits the corner of your mouth, yeah. where your hand rests below your jaw, making sure that your elbow is not too low, not yeah. too high, yeah. your back muscles are pulling. And remembering all that stuff in the moment. Yeah. And getting to full draw. Yeah. That is the hard part. That's the big difference, you know. I mean, that's I mean, that's the main difference. Is like once that animal's in range, you still have to get to full draw. Yeah, and you, you have don't to have do a crossbow, and you're not you. sitting there like this waiting right. without yeah. making any motion. You actually have to go full draw and somehow do that undetected, without the animal getting alert or freaked out or running away. Yeah, it's a crazy little addiction, isn't it? It is. <laughs> Very, very crazy. <laughs> and it's also, I was watching My wife a video. would agree with you. <laughs> Mine would too. Um, I was watching a video of you. Uh, you were uh, grilling some steaks, some, uh, I think it was Axis deer at your house. And you, yep. were ta- you were talking about it. Like this, like the connection that you have to your food. Like you went and you found that animal. You know, that is a wild animal. Yep. That animal was just living like they've been living for hundreds of thousands of years. Just eating grasses and staying away from predators you yeah. snuck up on it and you place an arrow right in its vitals perfectly and cut it up and brought it home and and yeah. now you're eating it and there's this insane connection to your food when you do something like that yeah well especially when you look around and your family's eating it yeah like my kid i have little kids and they're sitting there with deer on their fork yeah and they're eating it like dad brought this home it's awesome i think it's cool you know like I don't know. I, there's just something so much more satisfying about eating food that you grew or killed or whatever it was. You know what I mean? I, it's, it's, it's so cool when someone has an awesome garden at their house. They busted their ass and they know exactly where that food came from. It only touched their hands. And they yeah. ate it. You know, it's the same thing. And it's even, it's even more so when, you're, when you spend all that time in the mountains and, and, you know, you bring it home and you care for that meat. Make sure it's not dirty. Make sure it's not spoiled. Make sure it's taken care of perfectly. Like you go in my in my freezer and I'm like a total, I'm, a, I'm actually kind of a slob in a lot of like different areas of my life. Like I don't, I don't make my bed a lot of times or whatever it is, but now when it comes to the meat, it's like perfect, total nerd alert. Like yeah. you go in, it's like everything's packaged perfectly. Everything's a perfect size. Everything's, everything's like itemized, like cut, date, animal, species, you know, it's, yeah, well, there's a deep respect for that animal that I don't yeah. think people who just buy their meat at a grocery store it, I don't think they could ever understand it. I think you can yeah. kind of intellectualize it and you can kind of imagine what it's like, yeah. but I don't think you could ever really understand it. Well, and I can relate to that because I wasn't always a hunter. You know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't brought up a hunter. I didn't, I didn't come from a hunting family. Nobody in my in my family ever hunted. When did so you it start? Was all new to me. I started when I was thirty, and I'm forty three. So what was it that got you going? I moved from the from the beach where I lived my whole life uh, up to the mountains. And um, I bought a piece of property, and everything I planted got dug up by wild pigs. Mm. So there's wild boars all over the property, and my wife started getting pissed, and 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 I didn't know what to do. I wanted to plant fruit trees and all this stuff, and everything was getting knocked over and smashed by all the pigs. And so my buddy was like, "Dude, shoot him with a gun, and you know, shoot a couple, and they, you know, they'll beat it." And so he gave me this shotgun or whatever, and I shot one with a shotgun and immediately gave it back to him. I was like, "I'm not a gun guy. I just I'm not into the the loud noises and." I just was over it. So I gave it back. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know if I should need to fence my property. I didn't want to do that, you know, because I didn't want to, like, mess up their, like, natural uh, pattern either. And they were, they, were, they were there long before I was. And, um, and my next-door neighbor was a bow hunter. He had an extra bow. So I would go over to his house and have a couple beers and shoot arrows. And once I could group some arrows, he said I was ready to go hunting. And, and he took me boar hunting. And 
the first night all these pigs were there and and i and i totally blew it i got to full draw and my my arrow fell off the rest and ding 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 <laughs> and all, they all they all ran i made a bunch of noise and, but that was it the next day i went and bought it i used matthew's bow down at the you know about you know like down at the bow shop and you know i started uh building tree stands by my house and you know trying to like throw bait down for the pigs to come i didn't know the hell i was doing i didn't know any bow hunters and um so it was cool yeah. so it's all like self-taught it was yeah it, uh you know i started with a good friend of mine at home uh at the same time i didn't really have any super close friends that were bow hunters and but it's funny because soon after i started bow hunting then i realized i did know a bunch of bow hunters and i and i like immediately had a really cool circle of friends that were all experienced bow hunters and and they kind of took me in um and taught me you know what to do what equipment to use and and you know how to hunt and then and then i had like mentors in, in hunting that like really taught me how to hunt like how to kill animals well hawaii is an amazing place for bow hunting and a lot of people would never imagine it is, it is. it's amazing between axis deer and mountain yeah. goats and yeah. all kinds of other crazy shit that you guys and the pig population yeah. pigs were brought over there um like hundreds and hundreds of years ago right yeah it was a captain cook thing was it yeah Wow. So, so there was, so there was really no animals in Hawaii. Uh, I, every single thing there is introduced, except for like bugs and some birds, you know. So um, the deer, the pigs, the goats, the sheep, everything was all introduced. So you go out in the mountains, and there's lots and lots of different, you know, a lot of different animals out there, and they're all introduced, and they're all considered pests. Wow! So it's a lot like New Zealand in that sort of a way, it because is. New, New Zealand has. An incredible amount of wild game, yeah. but it's all introduced, and they they did it back hundreds of years ago again when Europeans wanted it as a hunting destination. So yeah. they brought over stags and European animals yeah. and axis deer and all these things, and just yeah. let them loose with no predators. Yeah, that's right. So their populations just exploded. Yeah, I mean, it's you the same can, in Hawaii. What is it? What is it like over in New Zealand? Because when you look at the Lord of the Rings. You know, that's that's all I know about New Zealand. I know Kim.com lives there and the Lord of the Rings, and people go over there to hunt. It's very much like that. Uh, um, I hunted there this year, and we hunted in some places that, like, I didn't even hunt. All I did was, like, take pictures and stare at the mountains. It was it was mind-boggling how incredibly beautiful it was. We were hunting these, these, uh, these mountain goats called tar. They're yeah. from the Himalayas. They're these hairy goats with this big, giant sable fur thing, and really small horns and they live in like these glaciers and these like vertical cliffs. They'd be like a thousand foot cliff at the top of like a 5,000 foot mountain of like a granite cliff, like a little step ledge in it that's like six inches wide. And that's where the tar would be standing. One tar just be standing there. Look at that thing. Yeah, they're badass creatures. They really are. It doesn't even look real. Try and go kill one of those things with a bow on public land and send me the picture and I'll hail you forever. They they are hard (laughs) to kill with a bow. I tell you that much. Did you get one? I didn't. I saw one. Um, I was with Remy, who's a friend of yours, right? Yeah, yeah. Remy Warren. Yeah, I was with Remy Warren, and uh, <clears throat> we spotted one. And it's not like, you know, like where I come from, like you go hunt Axis deer, you could see a thousand deer. What? In a morning. Yes. Where? Mark my words, dude. You're where is this? You're going to see them soon. Um, on Lanai. Holy shit. On Lanai, shit, you will a see thousand? a thousand deer in a day. Yeah. That's insane. So, so I'm used to going out and seeing like tons of pigs and goats and deer and stuff like that. I went to, I went to New Zealand and hunted these tar and I'm standing there with Remy at the bottom of this valley, and we're hunting, we're we're camping in the backcountry, and we're, you know, we're glassing. We don't see anything, so we drive like half a mile, glass, you know, and we're in totally in the backcountry. We're driving straight up a river, like deep in a river. We got like a like a uh, one of those like land cruisers with a snorkel. We're in the middle of yeah. nowhere. It's not like these animals are, are under radical pressure, and 
you know, all of a sudden we see one, there's a tar. And it's at the top of this mountain, 5,000 vertical feet, five miles straight up hill. Or one mile, right? Well, I don't know, whatever the hell it was. It's vertical. 5, it's vertical. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's 5,000 vertical feet, but you're looking at it and it looks like it's right there, but it's vert. Right. It takes you four hours to walk there because it's vertical. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we saw it probably, we saw it at like, I don't know, three in the afternoon and it got dark at like six. So he's like, dude, we have three hours. We need to close the gap. We need to kill that tar today before dark. So we're literally like, quote unquote, running up the mountain oh as fast God. as you possibly could. And he's in pretty good shape, Remy is. He's, he's a beast. Yeah, he's a beast. He's, I mean, that's what he does. He lives in the mountains all the time. So he's used to that. He's yeah, like they goat. did one of those VO2 max tests on him. Yeah. And he's got like elite triathlon endurance. Yeah, he's like half human, half tar. Yeah. And uh, so, so we closed the gap to about... I don't know, 900 yards, and then it got dark. And then walked back down five hours in the dark. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's fucking exhausting. It's not I, for pussies. You don't for realize sure. like how hard it is to get up <clears throat> one of those mountains yeah. until you try it, and you go, oh. Like, you think, I'm in good shape. I work out. I go to the oh, gym. Yeah. I'm on the elliptical machine. Yeah. This is going to be no problem. I'm yeah. not one of these fat guys. Oh, yeah. No. No, it's fucking hard. It's really hard. Like, and y it'll help. Like being light helps too. Light and thin, where you're not yeah. carrying around a lot of weight. Yeah. But guys like Remy and uh, Steve Ranella and the, the guys that do that all the time, yeah. like, they will embarrass you. Yeah. With how will. out of shape you are, just yeah. walking up hills. You're just, you're just, you're just keeping them at a, you know, at your rate. Yeah. You're, it's like it's like you're slowing them down all the time. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it, it does pay to, you know, to train, especially like in the mountains like that. Like if you're going to go on a big hunt, it, it really helps to train a lot. And now these animals, how the fuck, like I've seen goats like on the side of cliffs where they're walking like along a vertical face and they're, they're standing on the, what looks like these little two inch yeah. outcroppings yeah. and they're walking along on those. Like how the fuck do they do that? Like how are they designed? Like what, what kind of evolutionary advantage to like walking along the side of yeah. a cliff face like that has led them to be this bizarre beast. Like most people don't think about them, yeah. like what their capabilities are. They can do like really strange shit. Like as far as like their balance and how they can yeah. make it up the side of a cliff. Like look at these fuckers. Yeah. Like look at that. That's exactly we're, how the tar were, dude. We're looking at something that just doesn't even look real. We're looking at these goats that are walking along the face of this cliff and the cliff is almost... 90 degrees it's almost up and down and these things are somehow or another finding footholds where their their whole body like the side of their body is slammed up against the side of the mountain and they're making it up this cliff and they're not forced to be on that cliff that's no. the craziest thing like when i when i was hunting those 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 goats in new zealand those tar just below where they were there was like these rolling hills, like really steep still, but it was like rolling hills with grass. They choose to be on the rocks because they actually eat some weird stuff that grows on those vertical cliffs. So wild. What are they eating? I was eating? tripping balls the whole time. <laughs> I was like, you gotta be kidding me. The animal's not forced to be there. He's, yeah. he's choosing to be on that like six inch wide ledge, a thousand feet on a vertical cliff. Oh, look at that fucking, but we're yeah. looking at this picture, folks. Jamie, what, what was the Google search if someone's listening? To uh, just like climbing goat. <laughs> <laughs> this is this picture that we're looking at now there's probably like you know eight of them and they're on the side of this mountain and it just doesn't even look real and the tar they don't, they don't look real as it is they look like some sort of a mythical creature from some ancient greek novel they do 
it's hard it's hard to uh it's really hard to appreciate how hardcore that kind of hunting is unless you do it you know i think that like 90 i, I i'm gonna i'm gonna piss people off when i say this but like 90 eight percent of the hunting that happens in america is like park your truck walk to your tree stand yeah get in the tree stand play play words with friends until the deer comes underneath the tree stand <laughs> get the full draw and yep. and you know you got your tag filled and which is great i'm sure it's a blast and i like tree stands and all that stuff but that kind of hunting is just like a to- it's weird how hunting is like clumped in to like oh you're a hunter and that's all people sort of need to right. know, you know. There's like so many different kinds of hunting and so many different ways to do it, different weapons, different approaches, different, you know, it's like crazy. Like some people are shooting animals at, at you know, 1,500 yards of the, of the high-powered rifles. Yeah. They want to be as far as possible. That's the goal. And for us, it's like we want to be as close as possible. That that long-range stuff is very strange because it, there's, there's a lot of ethical questions that come up with that um, because – any movement whatsoever at 1500 yards i mean you have to be like a real fucking expert marksman to pull something like that off so there's this there's a lot of dick wagon going on when you're killing something at like 700 800 a thousand yards it's it's weird it's like you don't really have to do that like you could get closer to that animal i think that's the the goal though yeah the goal is to Mm -hmm. anybody can get to 200 yards from any animal yeah i don't care what animal it is you can get, if you can't get to 200 yards, you got major problems. If you can get to 100 yards, I mean, even from like an antelope, yeah. you know, you can belly crawl your way in the in the middle of nowhere to, mm-hmm. to 100 yards from antelope. Yeah, especially if you have one of those ghillie suits. You know, Remy has yeah. this show called- You just move super slow. Yeah. You know? Have you seen Remy's show? Uh, it's called Apex Predator. I haven't seen that one, no. It's a really good show. And it's really interesting because Remy, you know, Remy's a really good athlete and he's also just a really smart guy. And what he does is he tries to mimic all of the behavior of predatory animals, uh, like wolves. And he'll do like um, him and uh, a bunch of his friends were doing some sort of like a chase the same way that a wolf would chase down an elk. Yeah. And one of the things that he did was he put on a ghillie suit and he crawled up to these antelope and just slowly creeped his way up to these yeah. antelope. And as long as you're patient and you move slow, like he got within like seven feet of fucking yeah. antelope. As long as you go slow enough. Yeah. You and just... that's, that's a mistake I make all the time. You know, when I blow a stock, it's almost always because I went too fast. Yeah. And no matter how slow you go, you should almost always go slower. You well, know? one of the things that I found out recently, you know, Randy Ulmer is yeah. famous bow hunter. Yeah. It's like probably one of the most successful bow hunters ever. He shoots most of his animals with no shoes on. Is he? Yeah. yeah he takes his boots off and yeah. he's got just thick wool socks yeah. and he just walks. He just creeps. Oh, yeah. Yeah. nice and slow and that's one of the reasons why he's so successful he realized like okay you can't just be walking around with these fucking clunky boots and snapping twigs and shit like that and yeah. so he feels everything underneath him and it's just like have you ever been around a bear like when a bear's walking through the woods uh no not they, really. they don't make any noise yeah it's kind of creepy like there's this big ass fucking 300 pound bear and it's yeah. not making a single sound as it's walking because they have soft pads yeah. and they're predators so they just fucking creeping, yeah. you know, and that's kind of like the idea of the approach. Just, yeah. just creep inch oh, yeah. by inch. Yeah. yeah. Bears blow my mind too. Cause you know, I've, you know, I'm from Hawaii, so I don't even know anything. I know nothing about bears. So I think they're all like Yogi bear, you know, <laughs> like they're coming to grab like your, your jam and, and like, <laughs> hang out and camp with you. You know, you know they want a hug or something like that. And, 
And uh, man, I went hunting. I did a do-it-yourself over-the-counter tag elk hunt with my buddy from Hawaii, and we were in Colorado, and we and we and we hiked into this area, and we're all excited. You know, we don't we didn't know shit about elk hunting. We didn't know, I didn't know how to call them. I didn't know what they did. I didn't know how they worked. I read some articles. I didn't know what the hell was going on. So, and so we drop off our stuff. And we got about an hour to hunt, and then we're gonna come back and set up our 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 little camp there, like a creek. So I do a big loop. I come back a little bit early. I'm like, I'm going to set up my tent and stuff. And I get to one side of the creek and my friend's across the creek setting up his tent and getting like like our food out, like salami and like whatever else kind of food we had. <laughs> and, I lo- and I was just about to like yell out to him like, hey, did you see anything? I was like maybe 60 yards away from him. And I look to my left and there's a bear, a big bear, big black bear standing on his hind legs. It looked like one of those targets, you know, those big old targets you shoot one of those things and he was just staring at my friend he had no idea I was there the bear didn't know I was there and then my friend had no idea the bear was there he's sitting there like butt crack hanging out like getting all the food out and this bear just staring at him from across the creek it was radical and I just immediately knocked an arrow and just like sat there and then the bear saw me and then looked at my friend looked at me looked at my friend and then it was this vertical mountain right behind him we were at the bottom of this creek and the bear thought about it and then just turned around and just hightailed it straight up this mountain like he was on the flat ground it was crazy and my friend never even saw him yeah that strange. story that you were telling before the podcast started tell that fucking story <laughs> yeah because, that, that made me really even more scared of bears yeah tell tell that story <laughs> yeah so uh it was a few years ago i uh, i read this i read this story on a bow hunting magazine and it was a story about this this guy and his son and they were hunting elk I'm not sure which state but um the son was in the front and he was set up and the dad was in the back, probably 60 yards back. And the, and the dad was cow calling and there was a bull there and he was starting to, he, he was starting to come into the call. And so the kid was standing there waiting for his shot and the dad was sitting there cow calling behind him. And all of a sudden the elk runs off and they thought the wind had waffled on him or something. And right behind the elk, like 50 yards past the elk was a giant grizzly bear standing straight up, staring at him. And the kid started getting nervous. The bear started hightailing it straight at the kid. And the kid turned and started running at the dad. And as the kid and the, and the dad went to full draw, he had a bow. It was, it, was, it was archery season. He had no gun. So the dad grabbed his bow, got an arrow on, ha- somehow had the clarity to get to full draw. As the kid passed his dad, the dad made a perfect shot on the bear. The bear right then catches up to the kid, dives on the kid and starts mauling him and ends up dying on the kid. And there was a picture in the article, it was incredible. There's a, there's a picture in the magazine of the kid and he's covered, covered head to toe in blood. The bear died on him with like a heart shot, blood all over him. So the kid had like bear blood. Is there that you the go. photo? Yeah. Yes, the oh my God. <laughs> so gnarly, dude. Oh my God. It's just the only picture they have. What is, um, how do you find this, Jamie, if somebody uh, wants to? Dad Zero saves son from grizzly attack in outdoor life. Fuck. It's a heavy article, man. It's no joke. And the and the and the perspective from the dad, you know, it's like, can you imagine? I mean, I I have I have kids, and I can't even imagine like you know what kind of mental state you'd be in if you saw a giant bear chasing after your kid. That dad's a bad motherfucker. To yes. keep it together. Yeah. Whoo! That gives me the nerves, the jillies, the whatever the fuck it is. My my goosebumps are popping up. I saw a grizzly when I was in Alberta, black bear hunting a couple weeks ago. Yeah. They they look at you so different, man. <laughs> black bears are creepy enough, you know. And yeah. uh, Renella was telling me a story about this guy who uh, first trip 
ever hunting, gets attacked in his tent by a 500-pound predatory black bear. His friend shoots the bear. Screw that. The bullet goes through the bear and hits his friend in the wrist. So this kid, first first black bear hunt ever, yeah. first camping trip out, he's going in the woods like, this is going to be great. We're going to get to hang out with nature. Yeah. A bear tries to eat him, and his friend shoots him. <laughs> they killed the bear. They wound up killing the bear, but... Black bears are scary, but they're nothing like grizzlies. This grizzly looked at us, and they look at you like demons. Yeah, they're, they're, They have a total different look in their eye. Like, there's nothing going on back there. Yeah. It's just dead kill machine. Yeah. They don't at feel you. bad when they when they eat you. Feel they're awesome. in your guts. They, feel they awesome. Just, they're just like, mmm, it's super delicious right now. Oh, yeah. You could be screaming. It's great. Yeah, it's we is people are so strange. There are detachment from wildlife that when you're actually around them, even just around an elk, like when you're around an elk and elk are calling and they're making those crazy sounds, you're like, what the fuck is this real? It's crazy when they're fighting too. Oh yeah, over the girls. Yeah, I just that blows my mind. Like like hunting deer or elk in the rut and seeing them fight over the girls is the best. Is the best and seeing like the one that that loses gets his ass kicked and he kind of like. Just walks off like, oh gosh, got my ass kicked. And then the bull or the big dog who who wins, he's on. That's yeah. his whole harem. Yep. His whole harem full of girls, and he's just like, I'm the I'm the badass. You and know? he just gets his fuck on. Yeah, and you gotta breed them all. You know. I was in uh, California at Tahone Ranch last year, and these two huge elk were smashing horns. They were yeah. like both like 360 class elk, which is like uh, for people listening, just enormous antlers, six points on each side. Thousand pound animals yeah. just running at each other, yeah. headbutting each other and yeah. stabbing each other. And uh, while we were there, they found one enormous bull that had been killed by another bull, been stabbed yeah. in the in the side and punctured his lungs, and it, it you know was just laying there, yeah. jacked, enormous bull. Yeah, it's the coolest. It's the coolest. So just see, seeing them like act like how they're supposed to be in yeah. nature, how they've been doing it for hundreds of thousands millions of years it's just nuts to, to just just to be a part of that and see it yeah it is and it's almost like when we were talking about the goats being able to walk up the side of these cliffs like these animals they've they've evolved to develop horns that are swords they have yeah. like spears oh, growing yeah. out of their fucking head and they know it yeah they're well aware of that and they're trying to kill the other one because it's they're they're so hopped up and they were just hanging with that guy yeah. a few weeks ago. Yeah. They were hanging out, feeding out in the in the in the grass. And they'll hang out with Chilling. him again if he survives. They will. Yeah, they'll they, hang out. But they not make right these then. bachelor groups. Yeah, they get pissed. Did you see that video of the lady in Yellowstone that was like, "Hello, elk. No. Hello. No. Hello, my friend. I'm your buddy." Oh man. And this elk just fucking headbutts this bitch and sends serious? her flying. Are you serious? She went flying. Wow. Yeah. How was that Grizzly Man movie? Did you see that thing? It's awesome. Yeah, it's I've awesome. seen it about ten times. If you don't see that, you're tripping. It's <laughs> so good. I'm trying to get Werner Herzog uh, to. Uh, he, he his people contacted me, the director of it, to be on the podcast. I'm gonna try. Look at this. She's like. Hello, hello, Mr. That shit's almost like a comedy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like when I watched like, that Grizzly, Grizzly Man. Man movie, Man. I felt like it was a comedy. The guy's Man. warning her. Could you please? Oh, oh. Yeah. Oh. Yes. yes. Video? Oh. Yes. <laughs> he goes, did you get video. that on video? <laughs> that shit's gonna go viral, the, the honey. Listen to her. <laughs> I'm just gonna tell you, you're too close to that elk, and that's why. Thank you. Twenty-five yards, ma'am. <laughs> it's been a long time. Thank you, sir. 
I'm totally used to these elk. I'm out here every year. It's 25 yards. That's funny. He's got like a number in his head that you have to be 25 yards from them. Yeah, and then you're totally safe. Yeah. You're oh, good. Yeah, no problem. You're super safe. Please, if they decide 50 yeah. yards to make a mad dash you, he's got yeah. a boner and this chick got scared <laughs> off and he decides it's you that scared oh, her yeah. off. I just go yeah. spear you. They have no problem. Do you see the one where there's a guy who was like sitting on the side of the road as a photographer? There's a real recent one. And they actually had one up euthanizing the elk because this elk fucked with this dude for like, the video's like 10 minutes long. The elk's like just like headbutting this guy and the guy's sitting there trying to cover his head as a spike, a real yeah. young bull. And uh, this, this photographer's just hanging there and this bull starts headbutting him. And the guys just decided to just play passive. This is it? Yeah. And this but this goes on forever, man. And this bull just kinda is, wow. it's not sure what to do because he's a really young bull. You're looking at that yeah. bull. A spike is like what, a year old? It's funny how they get so smart so quick. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like at that age when it you know, when it's like a like a yearling bull, like a little mm -hmm. spike, they're pretty stupid. You know, they come to any call and yep. they're kind of spaced out. They don't really know what a human looks like. But man, once they turn into like six by six, they are they are not dumb. Yeah, they get turned on. Yeah, but like this elk, I think I could kill that elk with my hands. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'd like I could to see you try. Get a hold of those antlers. I spin around, take his back. Yeah. <laughs> Rear naked choke. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, I'm thinking I get his back, and he's fucking done, man. Yeah, it'd be fun to try for sure. Meanwhile, he would look ride, at the backstraps in that guy. He would ride off with me. <laughs> he would. He would he would load up the barbecue. He would. Guy. I would He'd get fill your freezer. Oh yeah. Well, those are the most delicious ones. Oh, if yeah. you actually can can kill one that that's really young yeah. like that, they're really yeah. tender. The same with deer. You know, everybody wants to shoot, but that's the thing about elk. They're so delicious that even the old ones, yeah, the old tough bulls, they, they taste amazing. It's the best have, meat you can yeah. eat. It's funny because I I feel like super remorseful when I get an animal on the ground, no matter what it is, no matter if it's like a. Uh, an elk or a deer or a pig or whatever I have this weird feeling when I walk up like I I don't I don't feel bad I just feel like just as like heavy connection with that animal you know like I took its life that was that was my choice you know like I could have let it walk and, right but at the same time like if it's like a, a younger deer I'll smoke it you know because those are really good eating yeah. and that's what I'm trying to do I'm out there trying to it's funny I I don't I don't have a list of animals in my head that I need to get are, are you one of those guys where you're like, hey, no. I, need to, I need to kill a mountain goat, I need to get a stone sheep, I need to get a zebra, I need no, to get... No, I find that weird, man. There's, yeah. a, there's a show that I watch. You ever seen that uh, Tom Miranda's uh, adventure bow hunter show? I television, dude. I'm like a Wookiee in the mountains. You don't have a TV? I don't have TV. Wow. I got like Netflix on my computer. There's a lot of these guys <laughs> that are they're into the super slams, you know, yeah. which means they're oh, yeah. all the North American game yeah. animals, and that just seems like a fetish to me. It gets real bizarre it's like yeah. i think you're losing sight of what this thing is supposed to be all about yeah i'm totally fine with however anyone you know if someone's into getting lions or whatever that that's that's their trip you know i'm not going to judge them but i'm just that's not me yeah i don't have a list of animals at all if i just hunted mule deer and elk for the rest of my life and axis deer i'd be good yeah. I could hunt all year long and never get bored with those three animals. I feel weird about bears. Bears are the ones that weird me out the most. Like killing a bear and eating it. <clears throat> just yeah. First of all, it's really like one of the best animals like from a c conservation standpoint. Yeah. It's one of the best animals to kill because yeah. they don't have any predators. And so if you don't yeah. kill them, they well the only thing that kills bears is other bears. Yeah. So they like where we hunt in Alberta, 
there's a giant population. I mean, it's not yeah. uncommon to see 20, 30 bears in a day. Yeah. It's really, really overflowing with bears. It's and, a public service to get, yeah. you know, like to take a few bears. Well, it decimates not just the uh, moose population, the deer population, yeah. but the crazy thing is it's bad for the bear population for there to be this many bears because the boars eat cubs. Yeah. Like, they're a weird animal. Like, yeah. elk don't eat elk, yeah. but bears, like... They're predatory, man. Yeah. They, they just go for an easy meal. There was yeah. an article recently that I posted today on Twitter that they're finding that grizzlies are going towards people when they have cubs, and it's super fucking dangerous. But the mama bears are realizing that when they're around people, that the big boars won't kill their be their cubs as much. Right. So here it is. Brown That's bears crazy. are using human shields to protect their cubs. But it's incredibly dangerous for people because when you're around a mama bear and she's got cubs... She'll yeah. fuck you up, oh, yeah. man. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to get near one of those. There's another one that I uh, retweeted yesterday. Some woman who was in a marathon. <clears throat> she was running a marathon in New Mexico, and she ran past a mama bear with her cubs, and the mama bear just decided to fuck her up. Yeah. Just beat the shit out of her, cut her up, ripped her apart, and she just played dead. And, uh, you know, she's really jacked, and there's a picture of her all scarred up, and, you know, the bear left her alone, and then some other marathon runners came over and yeah. saw her huddled up in the fetal position all fucking covered so in heavy. blood that's yeah. a life changer right there oh yeah it's how's the meat bear meat is yeah. really good is it it's good? really good yeah yeah there's a lot of misconceptions about bear meat well apparently grizzlies are nasty yeah especially if you get a coastal grizzly that's eating and there's salmon a difference the between fall bears and spring bears right like yes. the, like the taste of them i heard i heard the I forget which one, but I heard one is a little bit better than the other. Fall's supposed to be the best yeah. because the fall bears are eating berries. I've only killed spring yeah. bears, but yeah. spring bears taste really good. Yeah. And so like I was saying, like from an ecological standpoint or from a conservation standpoint, it's yeah. probably one of the most important animals to kill other yeah. than, say, white-tailed deer because there's so two million or, or so. What is it? What was the number? Like 1.5 million car accidents in the United States alone. 200 people die in the United States every year from hitting deer with their cars. Yeah. That's so the that's thing is people are so so like quick to point the finger like I can't believe you'd kill a bear. I can't believe it, but they just can't yeah. wrap their head around the fact that they need to be those numbers get so out of control. Yeah. And the and the world's never going back to how it is before we lived where the bears live, you know? Right. That argument's a weird argument. You're yeah. in their land. Yeah. Man. Yeah, like and I get it. That's yeah. that's fine, but it doesn't matter. That point's invalid because all the people live there. Yeah. And when there's millions of bears running around, it's just, it's not good for them either, you know? But even knowing that, I still feel weird when I kill a bear. It's yeah. just, they're, they're so much like a dog almost. They're like an enormous big yeah. dog. It's just, it's just, I, I think they're cool. You know, they're cool animals. Yeah. I like looking at them. I want to, I still want to hug them. Yeah. I still want to, what was that, <laughs> what was that show when we were kids? Uh, Grizzly Adams? Grizzly Adams. And he had that, like, that was his best friend. I wanted to be Grizzly Adams so bad, dude. <laughs> it wasn't the beard or the hat or anything. I just wanted to hang out and spoon that bear every day. It was so awesome. <laughs> it's yeah, there funny. he is. There Look he at is, him. Grizzly that Adams. That guy had the original hipster beard. I used to have, uh, that guy would get so many chicks right now in Venice. I know, right? Look he was fucking owning it. Yeah, he would. Look, Look at him. He's lifting yoked. weights. I didn't know he was yoked. Looks like he got a grizzly bear in his chest. Is that dude still alive? Oh man, Grizzly Adams. It says death. It's he, right there. Um, it says death. So I would say no. Yeah, Grizzly. He was so cool. It's funny. I had a. Um, oh, he just died. My uh, my wife and I, Dan Haggerty, my my wife and I got a, uh, my wife and I got a Bernie's Mountain Dog 
um, years ago. Have, have you seen those? It's like a big Swiss dog. No. Awesome. It's uh, it's related to a St. Bernard. So it's very similar to a St. Bernard, but they, they're not like a slobbering breed. They don't have slobber. So they're really awesome. They have these really cool markings, but mine was like 130 pounds. So it was like a grizzly bear. And I swear I was like living like my childhood dream of being grizzly Adams because I would I'd come home and roll around with my big bear you know it was like he was like a big grizzly bear he was awesome I wonder if that's what did the grizzly man in like maybe he saw grizzly grizzly Adams when he was a kid and either that or he had just a bad batch or something he's ripping Dude, I, I I laughed the whole movie oh yeah it's a hilarious movie even at movie. the end even yeah. at the end when he gets wasted by the bear oh, yeah. I thought it was comical well, how about the like, fucking sheriff? If, if anybody had ever been asking for it, it was that dude. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was suicide by bear. I really do. Yeah. Because he went back into the area when, when you're not supposed to be there, when the air, the animals yeah. are in hibernation, except for yeah. the really desperate ones. Yeah. And he knew that they were killing cubs. Like, that was, like, part of the uh, the video. He, he stumbled upon these cubs that this yeah. bear had killed. They were starving to death. The rivers had no salmon. They had all dried up. Yeah. There was no salmon run, and it was getting real sketchy. He stuck around. They've accepted me as one of them. Yeah. That was the best, dude. I just died laughing. <sighs> poor bastard. Like, oh, man. A that would have been a bad way to go. When bad the sheriff way. talked about it, oh, I thought he was retarded. Yeah. <laughs> like, so it's, it is as like a would. comedy. Yeah. It is. I think it's a comedy. Yeah. And I want to talk to Werner Herzog because he's supposed to. We're, we're apparently we're in contact with his people and we're trying to work something out because he's got something else that he's promoting. But. There's no other documentaries that he does that are funny like that. Yeah. Like, that one is fucking funny. I'm not sure it was meant to be funny, but, you I know. I think it is. I feel as like As a human it... being, you have to just, like, look and be like, you got to be kidding me with this dude. There's some wild people out there, though, for sure. Timothy Treadwell desperately wanted to be one with the bears. So good. That shit's gold, dude. It's gold. I'm protecting these bears. No one's protecting these bears. When he goes on those rants, because he would he would film himself going on like three or four different rants, and he would only use like one of them. But some of them he would just start swearing and yeah. fuck you, park department. And where's the I'm lost tapes? Here. I want to get like the lost tapes. Well, they had a whole series. Did they really they took his they took his tapes and they made a whole series about it. And it was fucking. I mean, he had like hundreds of hours of footage, yeah. and he. Got amazing, amazing, unprecedented close-up footage of bears because no one's that fucking yeah, stupid. No, that crazy. Yeah, yeah, you gotta be nuts. Yeah, and those things were not like close to a town and used to humans. Those that was like in the middle of nowhere. Middle those of nowhere. Bears were straight up like wild grizzly bears doing wild grizzly bear shit. Yeah, and he was watching them go to war with each other. Yeah, I mean, he got footage from like 20, 30 yards away yeah. of these two enormous grizzly bears. He was telling them to stop it, huh? Yeah. <laughs> stop it. <laughs> stop fighting. Well, that guy was 100% fighting the gay. Like the, oh. the gay was disturbing him so much he decided to go camping with monsters. He's like, I oh, just, I can't accept the fact that I'm gay, and so he would like he fixed that problem, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Well, he had a girl with him at the time too. And apparently, um, apparently, there's audio, and I don't know if they destroyed it, but that was part of the uh, the documentary. There's, it lasted seven minutes. Oh, because bears don't fucking kill you; they just start eating you. Yeah, they can hold you down. They're not trying to kill you. They just want to. They just want to eat you. That's a weird thing about omnivores. As opposed to predators, like predators just kind of kill you, but omnivores, for the most part, they you just hold you down. Just yeah. Like chimps. Chimps just hold things down and eat them. The whole, mm-hmm. like, thing where, like, where we want to, like, dispatch an animal as quick as possible to stop yeah. the suffering, they don't have that part no. in them. They're just like, you want to scream? Go ahead. 
Yeah, if you're going to get jacked by something, a cat is the way to get jacked because cats know how to kill you. Yeah. They're really good at it. Mountain lions would be scary, man. <sighs> Quick, yeah. though. Yeah. Scary, but once they get your neck. Yeah, you're toast. It's pretty much it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But guys fight them off. People fought off mountain lions because I think animals, they have this this like tipping point where they go, okay, could I get fucking injured here? Yeah. If I can get injured here, I'm going to back off and go kill something stupid. I'm going to go fuck someone's dog yeah. up or something. You know, because there's there's like a tipping point where the animal realizes, like, this guy is fighting for his life. Yeah. Fuck this. This is too much work. Yeah. I'm out of here. Yeah. You know, and that brings me back to the shark thing. Like, the that that would be, like, just a horrific way to go. Oh, yeah. The, those, those things are enormous, and they, when they want to kill you, they'll kill you. you know, they just cut right up. through you. Well, this is a strange animal. It's like nature's cleanup crew. Nature's just decided, like, there's just yeah. too much shit in this ocean, and so we're going to just develop this insane yeah. thing that doesn't even it doesn't even get to sleep did you see the footage of the, look at that did, did you see the footage of the surf contest that happened last year in africa where yes. the guy you know they get attacked by the the shark that's a good buddy of mine and and uh they i mean that was like a 18 to 20 foot long great white shark yeah pull that up jamie and <laughs> when i saw i was on a plane when that happened and i was landing in honolulu and i turned my phone on and had like all these crazy messages and from all my friends you know because it's just it's just you know, it's a, it's a really small world in the surf world, and that was like that was no accident that the that this giant great white shark was within a couple feet of him. You yeah, know? look at that. Like look at everyone's that. like, oh, it wasn't trying to attack him. It wasn't trying. It wasn't. It didn't mean anything. That great white shark is that close to a human being. It was having a real good look. You know. Yeah. I think. Oh fuck it, yeah! It may not have been wanting to attack him or whatever, but it didn't just get accidentally stuck in his leash. You know what I mean? When you do that, that, that right there. Is as scared as a human being could possibly be without getting killed right then. Yeah, and he's looking at it. It's really? behind him. And he's swimming. That's it right there, right? That's it in oh, front yeah. of him? It's, that that's, that it was large right, body? It was right there, dude. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, he's hard as nails. And, and, and the other guy, Julian Wilson, um, that, was, that was Mick Fanning in the... In the blue, and look at him. He's just uh, that feeling when that. he got up on that raft. And <gasps> when that was going down, it was it was a full on ordeal of like you know it didn't happen like real quick, and he just jumped on. It's like that was like a lot a lot of seconds right there happening. His board got taken away from him, and he had to swim and splashing splashing water, you know, panicking. And then the other guy, Julian Wilson, in his heat, was a hundred feet away and was paddling full speed towards him to try and help. Instead of like that's like that's like when you show your true colors, you know. It's yeah. Like, that's when you know that shit's going down is when you see a friend of yours getting what he thought was attacked by a great white. Yeah, you probably it's probably just a switch that goes off in your head. You probably don't even it's probably just pure lizard thinking. You know, it's yeah. like the survival feeling like when that thing hit his board and you're in full on yeah. panic mode. You realize, like, you have got to get the fuck away from this thing. Yeah. There's no other options. Well, I watched it, and you you see him. Re it, he doesn't like go. Hey, what was that? He reacts super oh, quick. Yeah. He's ready to like fight. If that thing was there, I'm 100 percent sure he would have started swinging right right away. <laughs> if it was right there, you know. <laughs> I have a friend actually. I have a friend where, where I live. Um, he's actually he lives on the same island as me. He's from from where I live, and a tiger shark came up, grabs him, takes him underwater by the side. Grabs him with a full mouth bite on his ribs and his hip and takes him underwater, like six feet underwater. And he had a straight up punch up with the thing underwater. Oh, my God. He was beating the shit out of the shark. How, He's a big dude. It's hard to get like he good. was At the time, he was like 16 years old. His name was Ulu. 
and he's a local Hawaiian kid from where I live, and it took him underwater, and he straight up fought the shark. Wow. And it ended up letting him go. He had like, I think he had like 200 stitches or 300 stitches or something. And his whole side was just cut open. It's amazing that he's and okay. It's amazing he's okay. I can't even imagine what that would have, you know, just looking there and the thing, like looking at the eyeball, it would have been right there, like staring at him, you know? And he, just, and he said he was just hitting the thing as hard as he possibly could. Luckily, he's a big dude. It's crazy that they're attributing it, well, it makes sense though, to overfishing. That they just yeah. don't have enough to eat anymore. It makes sense. Totally makes sense. And and the thing is, no matter how many attacks there are, like there's been there's been a shitload of attacks in Australia, a lot, in certain pockets, like certain areas. And there's one area in eastern Australia, like on the east coast, that is, has a ton of attacks in the last five years. And another place on the west coast. And there's all these groups that are just like, nope, you can't do anything to the sharks. You cannot do anything to the sharks, you know? Well, who are these groups and what what is their like agenda? Environmentalist groups. That just like no matter what you can't you can't hurt nature type of thing you know. <laughs> Is there a shortage of sharks? Well, I've, man, it's 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 hard. But the bottom line is, if there were less sharks, there'd be less attacks, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It's oh, difficult. Man. There's not a real there's not a real solution where where you can where you're going to make everybody happy. You know, no. So. Well, you're never going to make everybody happy when you have uh, yeah. environmentalists or yeah. uh, animal rights ad- yeah. advocates. And there's a lot of like really fucking crazy and environmental and anti hunting uh, animal rights yeah. activists that they're not using logic or conservation. They just love animals. Yeah. And they want them protected at all costs. What's interesting is they don't have any problem with animals fucking up animals. No. Like, they don't like people eating animals, but they don't have any problem with animals just ripping animals apart. Yeah. It's weird. It is weird. It's weird because it's like they accept nature, they love nature, but they don't like the nature of a human being a predator. Like, they want to move away from that. Yeah. People are, are a trip these days, man. I, I uh, It's funny because the whole social media thing for me is, is, is relatively new. It's, you know, obviously we didn't grow up with that, and it baffles me because... You know, I can I can spear a fish, and I've I've posted like a photo of me. Nobody gives like a fuck. with my spear and my fit. There's a like a like a bloody fish in my hand. Good job, <clears throat> great going, awesome, great yeah. fish. No one says a word about anything that I killed a fish. You kill a deer, oh man, people just freak out. See what happens when you kill a bear. A bear, I can only imagine. <sighs> the more people have hated me for that than anything I've done besides Fear Factor. Yeah, besides Fear <laughs> Factor. <laughs> They get so mad. I'm like, I'm eating it. This is what I eat. I don't eat. I don't buy yeah. meat. People have such a problem with that, man. Yeah. I get these dumbest, dumbest comments. Like literally, like there's plenty of meat in the store. Yes. Why would you have to go and do that? <laughs> oh yeah. You're a terrible person. Like I'm not a terrible person because I go to the store and eat it. You're a terrible person because you go and get your food yourself and eat, and kill it. I because get- you did the killing with your own hands. You're bad. Yeah. I go and buy it with you my don't money. Have to I'm be good. a killer. You don't it's, have to be a it's killer. It's pretty wild. That whole. It just blows my mind because, you know, I didn't grow up in a city. Like, I get all these people from, like, Rio de Janeiro or Sao Paulo or someplace in, like, South America or a big <clears> city. <throat> I don't hate to point – I'm not pointing the finger at South Americans or anything like that. It's like – but it always it's always people who are in cities because they have this major disconnection from their food, right? And where I live I, – I mean, I live, I live in Hawaii. Everybody I know is a fisherman or a hunter and they – you know, people have gardens. It's like this is a way of life where they – where we live, there's tons of fish everywhere. If you throw your net, you're going to get dinner. That's what people do. Yeah. They, they, you know, they eat the food that they get around them. And not always, but that's just a, it's very, very typical to, to be a hunter or a fisherman. And 
you know, like where I live, that's viewed as the same exact thing. A fisherman and a hunter is the same. I don't, I don't see the difference. And so that's why it's shocking to me with the whole how people are totally fine you clubbing a bunch of fish. But the second you kill a deer, they just lose it. Yeah, well, it's what exactly what you said. It's just the disconnect of not not really understanding where their food comes from, not yeah. being in any way connected to the idea of the natural cycle of life. Yeah. And then there's also a hierarchy of animals that you're allowed to kill and not allowed to kill. Like even oh, yeah. turkeys. Nobody gives a fuck when you hold up a dead turkey. <clears throat> no. Nope. They don't give a shit. No. But if you hold up a dead bear. And a, and a dead boar. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, that's the other thing, Get too. Get rid of those things. Yeah, pigs. They don't yeah. have a problem with they pigs. They don't give a shit about pigs. It's weird. Get rid of them. Especially Plus, they're boars. they're eating pigs, too. Yeah. Like most people eat bacon every day, right? So yep. it's like, yep, get rid of those boars. That's, that's a disgusting, filthy animal. Kill it. Yep, I'm going to have my bacon, too. Yeah. Why'd you shoot that deer, though? Yeah, or the you bear. You didn't have to do that. Yeah. yeah. Well, the bear, bears are the big ones. Because I think yeah. in a lot of ways, people associate bears with trophy hunting. And trophy hunting yeah. is something that... I mean, uh, I get it. I understand that there's a lot of money involved in it for the communities where they shoot these animals and that it, it benefits them. And then also they have population issues with a lot of these animals. Yeah. Like we were talking about it yesterday, the, the thing that happened in Zimbabwe with Cecil the lion. Yeah. How they have to shoot 200 lions now. They have to kill them yeah. because they're just decimating the undulate population. Yeah, there. nobody knows about that. All those people that were pissed about Cecil have no idea they got to kill all the lions. Now. Yeah. They well, have no idea how it, how it works over there, and the, the whole the only reason those lions are alive is because of hunters. And they're losing a million dollars in revenue, yeah, because it costs them fifty thousand dollars to shoot a lion. So all that money would go to conservation, hiring yeah. um, all the the conservation agents, and it's stopping just a shitty poaching. system, really. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a shitty system. It's because they're dangerous. They can't do it. Like in America, it's great. It's like, you know, when I buy my tag for Colorado, I buy it for six hundred bucks. 550 goes straight to conservation yeah and that's awesome and that's why there's so many animals you know and that's a that's a really healthy system of how to how to like increase populations how to how to take care of habitat Mm -hmm. how to hire more park rangers how to how to buy more land and 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 you know make bigger reservations and bigger conservation areas and I don't think people know that though they don't most people have no idea that most of the money that goes towards wildlife habitat yeah. like maintaining habitat all comes from hunters like 90 percent. and then on top of that there's a tax on sporting goods that goes to that yeah. and you know people always say well hunting isn't conservation but you know what here's the thing hunters and hunting products whether it's uh bow hunting stuff or rifle stuff they they did not fight that tax but you know who did fight that tax all those other companies that make hiking stuff and REI yeah. and those companies, they didn't want a tax. So they've tried to impose another tax, and these people have fought it off. Mm. And the reason they fought it off is because they don't have to pay it. They don't have to pay it. It's going to fuck with their overhead. It's going to fuck with the amount yeah. of money that they have to charge for things. And so this this idea that these hunters aren't real conservationists, they're using it as an excuse. The yeah. bottom line is that's where all the money's coming from. Yeah. All of it for habitat protection, wetland habitat protection, yeah. all that comes from hunters. And it's a lot of money. It's like yeah. if they stopped hunting, if they made hunting illegal and they cut off that supply yeah. of revenue, there's a lot of animals that would be fucked. Yeah, there would be. People don't like yeah. it because it's one of those re- weird kind of gray area things where it just doesn't make you feel comfortable thinking that the money that has come, first of all, the only reason why there's elk in all the habitats that they're at right now is because hunters introduced them to those areas. They were decimated by the turn of the 19th century or the 20th yeah. century. 
So in the early 1900s, there was very few elk left in this country. So the Rocky Mountain Elk Federation spent considerable amounts of money, resource, man hours, moving animals into these areas like Kentucky. Like Kentucky has like a a huge elk population now. There was nothing there just 30, 40 years ago. Nothing. Zero. So they've, they've figured out a way to not just maintain populations so hunters can kill them, but they've yeah. also reintroduced them to areas where they didn't exist before. Well, increased populations by a hundred times in a lot of states. Yeah. You know? yeah it's, I, mean, I mean, the elk numbers have never been as high as they, you know, have been in the last 20 years. Yeah. You know? No, they're, it's amazing what they've done. And yeah. it's all because of hunters. And that's, that's well, I understand it for people that are animal rights lovers, but I just w- wish they had a more balanced perspective and they understood. Yeah what all the pieces that are in place are. It's it's an uncomfortable thing for a lot of people to think that the people who want to hunt and kill and eat these animals are the ones that love them the most. Yeah. This crazy thinking, right? Well, all the people that are super butthurt about the hunting thing aren't doing anything about it. Yeah. Well, they're they just, talk about it on Twitter. Just, yeah, they're just being angry and lashing out, you know, with their phone. <clears throat> but they're yeah. not doing anything to save the animals. Those 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 people aren't on the front lines in Africa trying to save the lions or the or yeah. the elephants or trying to trying to go against poachers and and do something about it. All those people are just are just chit chatting, you know. Well, there's not enough money. Uh, I mean, if they really wanted to do the kind of work that the hunters are doing, they'd have to have some stream of revenue. Yeah. And the stream of revenue that is coming from hunting is all coming from tags. It's all coming from the sale of hunting yeah. gear and products. Yeah. And there's just no way they can match that. There's no way. There's millions of hunters. Millions of hunters that are contributing literally a billion dollars. It's probably more than a billion dollars a year that goes to conservation. Yeah, especially so. And it's, it's a weird... It's one of those weird things. It just doesn't... Yeah. It, it seems like it should be cut and dry. Well, and I think people have, like, a misconception of, about hunting in general. Like, in, in most states, like, like say, Colorado, the, the areas that I've hunted there, like, on a do-it-yourself, over-the-counter tag, cost me, like, 550 bucks, 600 bucks, And I go there with my buddy. It's in an area that has, you know, a 7% success rate for archery, or maybe less, 6 or 7%. So, out of 100 hunters, maybe 6 or 7 people get an elk so all these people are really just paying for the experience of elk hunting they're not even it's not like they're going in there and buying an animal or nothing like that it's like i'm going to i'm going to colorado this is my trip for the year i choose to go out and just hunt elk for two weeks or three weeks or one week or however however long you have time and and that's what the hunting experience is all about for me i mean i i love the the meat that's awesome i love the successful hunt that's great for sure, I love eating it. But the but the bottom line is, if I had to go elk hunting and don't get an elk, it's not an unsuccessful hunt. I'm so stoked. This is like the best experience ever. Yeah, it's a very enjoyable, d- deeply rewarding experience just to be out there trying and attempting it. And when yeah. you are successful, it makes it that much more rewarding because you know how difficult it is. Yeah. Especially when you're doing it with a bow and arrow. Yeah. I mean, it is. You have to get within. I mean, if you're really fucking good, you could shoot something within 90 yards. But for the most part, you're trying to get somewhere within 30, 40 yards. Yeah, that's right. What's the matter, Jamie? What is this? Oh, I got sportsmen contribute nearly eight million dollars every day. That's crazy. Adding to more than 2.9 billion dollars every year for conservation, hunters and target shooters have paid 7.1 billion dollars in excise taxes since the inception of the Pittman-Robertson Act in 1937. That's incredible. Everybody in America knows about Cecil the lion. Everybody knows about Cecil. Nobody knows that. Nobody. Only hunters know that. 
You know? Yeah, I'm, I'm confused here. How's that work? It says I get the eight million dollars every day, contributing more than two point nine billion dollars every year for conservation. But this is what I don't understand. It says hunters and target shooters have paid six seven point one billion in excise taxes. Like just specifically that. Just tax. specifically just excise taxes. taxes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's a shitload of money. Yeah. So it's tags. Um, and and then equipment and taxes. So I guess the taxes is where's this? It's the billion, the seven point one billion. The rest of it is tags, which is two point nine billion dollars a year. It's amazing. Yeah, but, it is amazing. But again, it's the people that live in the cities that are disconnected, and I was one of them. I mean, if you talk to me, if you got there. a hold of me, you know, twenty years ago when I never even considered hunting, and you asked me about like hunting, I'd be like assholes shooting an animal. Animals are awesome. <laughs> Bunch of pussies. Yeah, with their big guns. Meanwhile, go buy dog food and cat food. <laughs> yeah, I love animals. I'm yeah. buying ground up fucking and chickens. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the funniest one. Is like vegans with cats. Want yeah. More than $1.42 billion through state hunting and fishing license. Wow, that's incredible. $1.4 billion in conservation comes from hunting and fishing license sales. $608 million from other revenue. $749 million through excise taxes. Paid solely by sportsmen. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's where the money comes. And if there's not, that's not, that money's not going to be replaced by people who love animals. And that's also... There's a lot of people that think of hunters like the characters in a movie, like an Elmer Fudd, oh, yeah. like some asshole who hates animals. Yep. But when you listen to like really good hunting podcasts, yep. like there's this guy, Jay Scott, he's got a really good hunting podcast and uh, Cody Rich has Rich Outdoors and uh, Steve Rinella has the Meat Eater podcast, which is like my favorite. You're, you're listening to really intelligent, really yeah. smart, well-educated people that understand a lot about conservation, the environment, the animals they're pursuing. Yeah. And when they're talking about tactics and strategies and details and all the different different um, areas that you're hunting, all the different uh, places where you're putting in for tags, yeah. you realize like this is a complex yeah. system that they're trying to navigate in order to be successful. Yeah. It's fucking very, very difficult. Yes. And it's primal as fuck. The whole thing is like it's a yeah. wild experience and yeah. very like literally wild on and many yeah. different levels. Yeah. And just the yeah, I just I, I don't know, I can't get enough of it. No, I, it's I, fun. I I swear like I I I feel like I I like I measure my success. Not so much now because my kids are I'm a family guy and and that's basically all I care about is my kids these days, but um I swear like I, I it's, it's it's like I measure my success by how many days a year I spend in camouflage. Like that's how I know I had a super good year. Right. Is if I went hunting a lot. I swear it's like and then, and like if I if I'm if I don't hunt for a while, like my wife will call my friend and be like, "Dude, you got to take Shane hunting. He's <laughs> being a dick. You know? <laughs> He's being a total asshole and you need to take him hunting." So for it's real. like you need to get your fix. I know I just get grouchy and grumpy and I don't even really feel it coming on. And my wife's like, you need to go hunting. But what is it you think that's causing that? It's like the... I don't know. Is it is it something's causing it when Not you hunting. miss hunting? Not hunting. Yeah, so hunting it. is alleviating that in some yes. sort of a way. Yes, hmm. And surfing, I, I, I do. I, I've, you know, I need to surf a lot. And I need to hunt a lot. It's just who I am now. 
It's just like I'm I'm a hunter, just like I'm a surfer. It's it's like it's not what I do. That's I feel like that's who I am. So it's just being a part of the natural world. Like the surfing yeah. thing is you're even though you're on a board that's made out of composite materials and yep. you, you know you got wax on it and all this jazz yep. and it's all created by a factory. Oh yeah. But there's something about you're you're introducing your life or your your being into the natural world of the ocean, yep. and you feel something like they say that the ocean has some sort of an electromagnetic like feel to it. Like there's something about the ocean because it's essentially alive. You know, it has living yeah. things in it, but there's oxygen in the water, and that's the, that's how these plants grow, and when there's dead spots, that's why these fish die. Like, it's, it's almost like an, it's not just like an ecosystem, it's almost like a giant living thing. Yeah. And you're swimming around in that thing, sort of absorbing its life force. And I feel like it just keeps you young. I think it's, like, I swear, like, surfing a lot, being in the sun, being in the ocean a lot... And not like sitting there frying yourself or anything like that, but just like spending a life in the ocean and in the sun is just good for you. I mean, I know people who are in their 50s and 60s and are just healthy. They look young. They don't They don't have like tons of physical problems. And um, I don't know. It's just I think it's good for you. I think spending time in the outdoors, whether you're in the mountains with your bow or whether you're in the ocean doing doing whatever you're doing is just good. It's well, good. it's certainly good to be active. Yeah. It's also absorbing vitamin D3 or creating vitamin yeah. D3 through the sun. That's a, that's a, a rare thing. Yeah, and then coming home with organic grass-fed wild meat is even better, you know? Yeah. No, all those things are, I mean, you, you're living a very natural life in a lot of ways in that way, you know? And, again, it's, there's also the satisfaction element. Just like the people who grow a garden can kind of, and I have a garden, I get it. Is there's a there's a connection like if I grow uh, some tomatoes and some kale and I, I put together a salad and I'm eating that salad I'm like I know where not not only I know where this came from I was there I yeah. put the seeds in I watered it I made sure it got fertilized yeah it's um there's something <clears throat> deeply satisfying about making your own food that you grow yeah. or that you go and get as opposed to going to a supermarket well and it takes a lot more effort too yeah so you just have like uh you know like that that elk steak that you eat. Like if you if you if you did a side like a side by side comparison with someone who didn't hunt, you know they may not feel the same way. But because you packed it out, you put all the time in on the target, you did all the hunting, you 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 like looked forward to it for six months that hunt, and it, it just that's the best tasting steak you're ever gonna have because you have the pride of knowing that you did it all yourself. Yeah, it's it's certainly a very very different feeling. Now living in Hawaii and uh, being a white guy. <laughs> what is that like? Because people say weird things about it. I've never found Hawaiians to be racist or rude or weird, but I've heard crazy shit. And I've always wondered, like, if that crazy shit is from, like, rude Americans that come over there and, like, are disrespectful or act like they own the place or... Well... There's a little bit of both. Yeah, there's a little bit of both. There's, there's a, you know, I mean, I grew up, I mean, I was born and raised in Hawaii. So right. I saw a lot of this, you know, like in high school and, you know, like in elementary school. Like if you were a white, like everybody wanted to be a Hawaiian when they were young, right? Like everybody in my school, like if you were white, you kind of wish you weren't. Really? That's kind of the deal. Yeah. When you're really young, especially back in the day, like it's like 70s and 80s, right? So like uh, when I was a kid, there was this thing called Kill Howley Day. I'm not making it up. Oh, my God. So you know what a Howley is, yeah, right? Yeah, white That's people. like a white dude. Yeah. So there was a thing that was called Kill Howley Day, and it was always at the end of the year. And it was like, I don't even know if they actually practiced it when I was a kid, but it was still, it was a thing. And it was a thing where, like, Hawaiians would be like, 
you know, this is it. Like, we're almost out of school. Let's beat up some Hollies or whatever the deal was. And that's, I mean, it didn't really happen when I was, when I was a kid, but there was a thing called Kill Holly Day and people would talk about it. And, but times have definitely changed. And, 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 the, and the other thing is like, there's a huge difference between a white dude who was born in Hawaii and a white guy who moved to Hawaii. Mm. So if you're from Hawaii, like born and raised in Hawaii is totally different than, than if you're uh, a dude from Orange County that moved to Calif- moved to Hawaii when you're 18 and then like next thing you know, you're trying to talk like the Hawaiians and stuff. Like that's, that's when people freak. That, that's when people <laughs> lose it when, the, when a dude rolls up and like with the Hawaiian stickers on their truck and jumps out and is trying to act like a, a local dude. That's when uh. guys get angry. That's not cool. You know? So it's like a cultural appropriation thing. Yeah, they just—it's just like uh, I don't know how to explain it, but it's it—it it gets a little complicated. But if you show people respect, you know, if if you're chill, if you paddle out in the water at a at a localized break and you're mellow, you don't have a bunch of ding dongs with you. If you you paddle out by yourself and you show respect and you're mellow, then everyone gives you respect. That's that's what I've always found. So the issue is disrespectful people in a lot of way. Yeah, it's just a, it's just different. It's like its own country. It's like, yeah. like te- I've never been to Texas, but I hear it's like its own its own kind of place. And Texas and like, is definitely its own country. If you if you get off the plane at my house and you get like a convertible Mustang rent a car, and someone's going forty five and a fifty five in a lifted truck, you don't pass them. You know what I mean? If you pass them, they'll chase you down, and and <laughs> they will. Really? Oh yeah. That's just disrespectful. It's like you're in Hawaii now. Slow down. You know? Don't don't. don't don't go 65 and a 55 and a convertible Mustang. It's like they're just – it's just a strange place. It's like – it's uh, – I don't know. It's just it's, – it's its own kind of place, man. Well, it's it's occupied. I mean, it's sort of an occupied country. Completely. It's, yeah. It's like they don't – they're part of the United States, you know, in quotes, in air quotes, but not yeah. really. That's a country. And Hawaiian they, people sailed there on sailing canoes from French Polynesia with stars for navigation. Yeah. They got there on their own. They How far everything is that? with them. It's I don't know. Uh, it'd be three thousand miles or something like that. What in the fuck? Yeah, and they did that in a canoe. Yes. I don't even like driving to Vegas. And like, okay, guys, like we're out of here. We're actually mo- we're not just going on a cruise. We're moving. We're yeah. going to become Hawaiians. We're going to bring our to babies. The- yep. And like you have kids. Imagine bringing your, yeah. your kid on a fucking canoe. So those canoe. people moved to Hawaii. They live there. They had their awesome system of the people in the mountains. They trade with the people at the beach for food and sustenance, and that's how they live. You know, there's the mountain people, there's the ocean people, and nobody owned any land. There was no concept of owning land. People just shared and got along, and, and they had their system that worked. You know, it was a gnarly time, too. There was there was a lot of gnarly stuff that was going on. It was like a radical time to live. If you if you did something bad, you're you're executed and all kinds of crazy shit like back in the day, but um you know, when the white dude showed up, when Captain Cook showed up and the missionaries showed up in their boats and they were trading a musket for like a 100,000 acre ranch, you know, it was like shit got crazy in Hawaii and you, and you can feel that nowadays. I mean, there's a lot of Hawaiians are getting pushed out. You know, all these people live in different places on the mainland and make a bunch of money, and then they retire in Hawaii because who wouldn't, right? Everybody right. wants to live in Hawaii. But they bring their money to Hawaii, it drives the value up, and then the Hawaiians can't live there anymore. They get pushed out to these areas that are less desirable, that are, you know, and they can't make money in Hawaii. 
so there's a lot of resentment you know there's 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 a lot there's a lot of there's a crazy dynamic in hawaii and and you feel that and i don't you know that'll never get taken away yeah how does that work because uh well, last time i was there i was looking at these properties that were on the beach i was like look at the size of this fucking place yeah this enormous house that someone built on yeah. this beach and someone was telling me yeah that's some ceo's jammy it's his house yeah. he's got a fucking helicopter pad and shit i was like yeah. okay how does that work so this guy like flies in and stays there sometimes and how the people around feel about that and yeah they're there to, like, for a week a year yeah and they spend five years building their house with like italian granite that's flown in from italy and and you know you know and and it's like and it's like guess who's swinging the hammers right yeah hawaiians yeah yeah and they have to drive there from like their little zone or wherever you know wherever wherever they're living they definitely don't live in like a private community by the beach yeah the golf course well, and so how do people feel about those people that do that? Do they, do they get upset at them? Are they angry no, at them? No, not really. I think they understand. I just think they, they uh, it's just a difficult situation. You know, it's like, it's like, a, it's like a lot of places in America, really. Yeah. Think about it. It's not, it's, it's not that unusual, uh, the situation in Hawaii. It just seems odd because it's, there's so many of these like multi-million dollar vacation estates. Yeah that are by the beach and you like that's like some crazy fuck you ceo type money that you have to have to have one of these things yeah like how weird is it these people they come to this place and they occupy this spot but there's a bunch of people that have been here and their ancestors have been here for yeah. thousand plus years and this is kind of their area but you can buy a spot there and they work five days a week their whole yeah. life and they can't buy a house you know right and then the whole, you know, the whole, the whole runway where I live is filled with private jets just sitting there waiting. Really? Oh yeah. People well, spend 50 million on their house. Like there's a, there's every single one of those guys in the fortune 500, all the CEOs, all the guys from every big giant tech company, they all have houses where I live. They wow. show up one week a year in their jet. That's so strange. Yeah. It's Does pretty wild. Break in when they're not there. No, they got top-notch security. You think they wouldn't, <laughs> dude? These are like tech guys. <laughs> well, Roseanne Barr is a friend of mine and she lives there. Yeah, it's a cool place to live. I mean, yeah. it's it's people understand why those people want to live there. The weather's yeah. great. It's a beautiful place. No one's no one's blaming them for living there. That's not the problem. But so the problem just, is them being disrespectful to the people that do live there. And yeah, if you're gonna be there, relax. Yeah, it's Hawaii. Right. Don't be in a big rush. Don't overtake me. Don't, don't drive like you live in. Don't LA. drive like an asshole. This is not L.A. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. You know. So just. When you get to Hawaii, just relax a little bit. Well, I got that text Downshift. from you this morning, the text that you sent me. <laughs> Fuck LA traffic. That's all it said. <laughs> it's just you realize, Man. like, this place is the exact opposite of the Big Island. I mean, this place is some strange sort of yeah. magnet for weirdos, and everybody's just getting sucked into this <laughs> giant population center, and you try to get anywhere, even oh, in the middle man. of the day. I mean, you were you were here... At noon, so you're driving around at 11 a.m. You'd yeah. feel 11 a.m. Everybody's at work, yeah. no big deal. Yeah, jammed, bumper to bumper. You should go go out at four, just so you want to kill yourself. Just go get on the 405 at four in the afternoon. You'd be like, "What in the fuck is this? What is this?" If you get on the 405 between like 11 at night and four in the morning, you beat rush hour traffic. Yeah. If you don't, maybe. If you if you're if you if it's light outside, yeah. it's rush hour. Yeah, straight up. Because I I drove just now from San Diego to L.A. I stopped in Orange County to get an MRI, but I it was rush hour traffic the whole way up. There was just stop and go, and it was like there was there was no accident. There was no road construction. There's nothing. It's crazy. Well, sometimes you'll be in a bumper to bumper stop. It's a mile long at two in the morning. 
Yeah. You're like, what the fuck? Cool, man, what the fuck is this? You, uh, it's, I don't know. That shit, shit drives me crazy. Yeah. And then the parking and the street sweeping and then mm. they have these like, like the like the technology like in um, places like Manhattan Beach and Hermosa Beach. They have like these like the 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 parking meter dudes. Mm -hmm. They have a thing now where if the parking meter, um, if your money runs out, they get like a bing, like. They know where you are and that your parking meter ran out and they can drive over there and get Oh, so they just go right to so it. It's, it's like not... hyper-efficient technology to give you tickets. Because <sighs> imagine like the revenue, right? It's like silly. Yeah. But that's kind of what I was getting at. That drives me nuts. That's kind of what I was getting at when I was asking about Hawaii. Is like there's different kinds of weirdness. There's a different kind of weirdness to living there. And then there's yeah. a weirdness to living here, which is the overpopulation yeah. weirdness and the, the showbiz weirdness. Yeah. Like what do you prefer? Oh, man, you know, I don't know. I was born and raised in Hawaii. Is, you know, I like the pace. I, I like the. I like that no one gives a shit which school my kids go to or what I drive. No one judges me if I drive a shitty car or they— Right. You know, Probably like you better. The opposite, yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, I just—I don't know. I dig that. It's, it's people, people, people judge me on who I am as a person and what I do and how, how I— I, I don't know. I feel, I feel just like it's a little bit more, it's just a little bit more real, I guess. And just, you know, more down to earth where I live, but I also don't live in like the, you know, I live in kind of a small town. So it's like coffee farms and ranches and it's, mm -hmm. it's pretty chill where I live. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's the weirdest thing about the big Island. Um, I'm a big fan of the big Island. I love visiting there, but yeah. one of the craziest things about it is there's so many different ecosystems in one Island. Yeah. You drive through this one area, it's like completely dry. It looks like a desert. Then you go into another area, it's constantly raining. It's like a tropical rainforest, like Hilo, like up in that yeah. area. Yeah. It's wild. I don't know. I, sh I should look it up, but, uh, I, Hawaii, uh, the, the big Island of Hawaii, there's like all these like, uh, climate zones and they always say that I, I forgot the exact numbers but it's like out of the out of like these certain sort of climate zones throughout the world like like the big island has like 11 of the 13 or something like that whoa so like if you get in your car and drive for like two hours you'll go through like like if you just like happen to like go to sleep and wake up like 15 minutes later everything looks different go to sleep wake up 15 minutes later everything looks different again <laughs> it's like it changes so much you know it's wild it's like lava field and yeah. desert and like like a dryland forest and there's like a, a rainforest and a jungle and it's just bizarre well that's the other thing about the big island is that there's sometimes snow there oh yeah we go snowboarding sometimes what the fuck where's yeah, we'll that go up and like build a kicker and like launch off it and drink beer <laughs> <laughs> that's what we do it was when it was snow when i was in high school we'd drive up there i try to go uh every year to uh the observatory the keck observatory yeah when it's uh, when there's no moon, so you can see the stars, yeah. just to freak myself out. Because yeah. I, I went once many years ago, and it just changed my world. Oh yeah, the one experience changed the. It was like literally being on a spaceship. It yeah. changed the way I looked at the world. Yeah. Because um, for people who don't know, there's all these light diffusers, these d diffused light lamps all around the Big Island, so that it doesn't give any light pollution to the Keck Observatory, which is one of the biggest telescopes yeah. in the continental United States. Or in, it's not the continental United States, right? It's not technically. In the U.S. In the world, I think, even, the Keck Observatory. Yeah, there's crazy clarity and, yeah. and, uh, and no light pollution there. It's beautiful. You yeah, go up there incredible. and you see every star. And yeah. it just seems... It 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 seems like you're on a spaceship. It's like you're on a spaceship and you're looking yeah. through a portal. Yeah, that's what it looks yeah, like. That's literally what it looks like. Yeah, and it it 
it almost hurts your brain. It's like, is this up there all the time? Am Not I- to open a can of worms, but did you follow that whole uh, telescope thing last year on the Big Island? Oh, There's about like the, the construction? The 30-meter telescope. That they were trying to do, and yeah. they said it was sacred land, so yeah. they couldn't build it. Yeah. yeah, well, explain that. See, you are up on it. That's it. I mean, uh, the 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 land, the land where those telescopes are built, are it, you know, it's it's considered sacred land by a lot of, I mean, basically like every single Hawaiian group that there is. Yeah. Um, but there's like designated, uh, there's a designated area within that sacred land that is designated for like astronomy and you know all that stuff. So, but they have like all these giant giant telescopes that are owned by different countries like china has theirs and the u.s has theirs and soviet union whatever whatever like all these big countries spend all these billions of dollars to make their telescopes and there's some of them that are completely obsolete and they're not even being used anymore so instead of taking those four or five down that they're not even using anymore and building a new big one they just wanted to build a whole another big one huh so there was a lot people were up in arms about it and it was going to be the largest building on the big island as well so People were just up in arms about it, and, and there was all kinds of, um, you know, people got super activated and really started protesting the whole thing and blocking the road, and people were getting arrested, and all my friends were involved, and everybody was, was against it and protesting. It was pretty wild. Because they just didn't want the construction to continue and make bigger things, so they felt, it seems inefficient, right? It seems like they should be able to take down the old ones and put yes. up a more yes. modern one. Yeah. There was, there was not really any Hawaiian groups that were against the technology and against the space exploration. It wasn't anything about that. It was the fact that it was – they felt like they were being disrespected because it was sacred land that was not right. meant to you know, build giant observatories there. And, and the fact that there was all these ones that ha- weren't being used. Jamie, um, is that in the front? It's crazy. Is that Actually, an alarm going my off? Truck. Is it in the back? Happens around here all the time. Yeah. Anyway, it was, a, it was a wild time, and, I, and it was weird because – uh, the, you know, the, the, the construction company that was building it, they had the permit already. They had the financing already and they had the Hawaiian government backing, backing them. I thought it was over. I thought for sure sh- there was no way to stop the thing. And it was amazing. Like people really got activated, like through, through social media and everybody just got up in arms about it. Everyone around the world knew about it and, and they ended up stopping it. That's incredible. It was incredible. I wonder if that's a good thing or a bad thing because I, I'm a big fan of space exploration. Yeah. I'm a big fan of what they find out with these telescopes. Yeah. But it seems like if they have telescopes they're not using anymore, maybe it's just a financial issue where it would cost a lot of money to break them down and yeah. put a new one in the place. And yeah. it's not uh, as, as financially efficient as starting a new one. Well, it's always one of those things where it's like, it's, you know, in, in Hawaii... Everything's sacred unless you have enough money. It's like America in that way. It's like if you if you want that beachfront house, nope, you can't have it. Oh, you got enough money? No worries. You know, if you're willing to pay like crazy for it, yeah. So mm. if you want to build a observatory on the Big Island, you can't do it unless you have enough money to put 100 million into the into the education system in Hawaii and grease all the right politicians and get it all through and. Yeah, a lot has to happen for one of those things to be built. And then the contracts, everyone's fighting over, like, the building contracts because it's going to cost $2.8 billion to build the thing. So there's a lot going on, a lot, of, um, a lot of crazy politics happening behind the scenes to get that space exploration happening. So That's unfortunate. Yeah. And you're, I don't think there's more than 100,000 people on the whole island, right? Yeah, there's, yeah, there's more now. How, there's, many, how many people th- live on the island? I think it's roughly between 150 and 200,000 now. And how much, when did that change? 
Uh, it's just slowly going up. A lot of people are moving there, especially to the Kona side where I live. There's oh, a lot yeah? more people moving there, like permanently. <sighs> Man, it looks Can't like a them. dope place to live. It's a, it's a good place to live. I mean, it's it's... Don't move there if you're listening to this. <laughs> we got enough people. Damn howlies. Um, are, are you one of those or you don't count as a howly? No, I'm just kidding. Are you um, one of those? Do you ever get called one of those? Uh, rarely, but I, I am a howly. I have white skin, you know? But I was, I was, I don't know. I mean, I I feel like that's, I'm not from anywhere else. Right. I'm not from, I'm not from New York City or from right. Afghanistan. But do you, do you know how to talk pigeon? I know how to talk pigeon, yeah. Like if you were gonna say I'm something, not gonna do to it Jane, right here you won't on do the it? Joe Rogan show. No, he won't do it. He won't do it. It's dangerous. <laughs> yeah. It's dangerous. It's no. Like speaking ebonics. When I, it, yeah, when I, <laughs> I don't speak pigeon, but when I'm having beers with with uh, with with the, you know, when I'm at home and I'm a couple beers deep, then yeah, it starts like slipping out every now and then. But yeah. Oh, so it's something that you did when you were younger. A little bit, yeah, just to yeah. get along and right. It's just I don't know. It's just. That's very typical to when people, most local people speak pidgin where I live. Yeah, BJ Penn was explaining it to me once. Yeah. And uh, he was uh, like saying like how you would say things. And I was like, Some people turn it on and off. Yeah. But I just speak normal English. Well, it's a cool sound. It sounds cool. It's interesting. It's it's a very friendly sort of a fun. It is. Way to, a relaxed way. My parents. not regal. My parents were, were, would have killed me if I spoke pidgin. Oh, really? Like in the house. Yeah, it was not cool. Plus, it's like, yeah, I don't know. I, I am a white guy, so yeah. it's not. I am not like a. You know, I didn't grow up in a Hawaiian family where everyone spoke pigeon. So, did your parents move there? Yeah, my dad was from L.A. My Whoa. dad was from, my dad was from this town. He went to Hollywood High School, surfed Malibu, and he he raced cars and he was a stunt man. He was a he was a stunt man for Elvis because Elvis couldn't swim. What? Yeah, Elvis couldn't swim. Elvis couldn't swim. Hard and to he swim. Made, around pills. You think that he would float good because he's all bloated? No kidding, right? That that was Fat Elvis. He was he was in his prime back then. But uh, yeah, so my dad did a bunch of movies with him, um, like Blue Hawaii, and all. He had like a series of movies that were all filmed in Hawaii, and Elvis couldn't swim. So my dad was the was a stunt double for all those movies. And he just decided to stay. And he he just got sick of L.A. Wow. And uh, he hated the parking guys. <laughs> no, <just kidding. laughs> no I, I think he just he went to Hawaii and fell in love with it. He, yeah, he ended up like moving on, moving to Oahu, and served and hung out and like met a bunch of like local people that he liked, and he liked the lifestyle and, and how people were there, and ended up moving to my my, my mom uh, went to college and and she was from Ohio, and right when she graduated high school, she moved to Hawaii and went to UH. Well, I know. Uh, doesn't Woody Harrelson live in Hawaii? Yeah, that's where all the best weed is. Really? Oh, the yeah. best weed? Listen, if there's better weed than what I have, <laughs> keep it the fuck away from me. Whoever's got better weed, stay away. <laughs> you can't get any better. I hate there's a lot when people of say that. Their hands right people always want to say that. Like someone said to I'm me, just kidding, but they were talking about Colorado live, so weed. Yeah. Is it yeah. basically legal? Basically legal. It's pretty. It's pretty casual where I live. I'm sure. But it's not. I like hear. if somebody wanted to fuck with you, they could technically. Oh yeah. 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 See, that's the thing about like Colorado. Colorado's wide open. Yeah. It's just there's nothing you just can't, you know? Yeah. It's just it's just legal. Yeah. And nobody can go to jail unless the feds come in and then you got like some you don't yeah. want to fuck with Colorado people. There's a lot of guns in Colorado. That'd be a weird place for the feds to kind yeah. of invade. That yeah, could get but there's ugly. a lot of people like that, like Woody Harrelson. Guys like I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I mean I don't know Woody, but uh you know, I've I've I have friends who know him on Maui and they say he's just chill, just he just likes to 
like the Hawaii lifestyle, you know? Yeah. You to relax. Like, well, he's wouldn't? a very nice guy by all yeah. accounts. Yeah. I ran into this couple the other day at the comedy store, and they uh, they moved from L.A. to Hawaii. They live in Maui now, and um, the girl hates it, and the dude loves it. It was interesting th- talking to them, because yeah. the, the dude works at a resort there. He's like, it is the fucking best place in the world to live. Everybody's relaxed. It's super cool. Yeah. The weather's amazing. It's beautiful. And the girl was like, I got to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. So my wife is... Uh, moved from L.A. to Kona. She went to UCLA, and then she worked for Warner Brothers Television. Whoa. Yeah, so she was on the grind. Is that where you met her? You met her out here? No, I met her in San Diego years ago, like before, like right when she graduated high school and started going to to like a little college there. And you're like, you're coming with me, woman. We're going to a rock in the middle of the ocean. Basically, yeah. (laughs) I'm moving you to a volcano. Yeah, Yeah, so she looks like a Hawaiian. Actually, she's she's, she's half Japanese. Oh, that's that's beautiful. Convenient. So she looks like a local. So everyone thinks I am the Haole and she's a local girl. Uh, It's pretty funny. So they think you you snagged up a good one. I did. But they think think you took one of theirs. Yeah, the local girls. So so anyway, but it's funny because when I asked her to marry me and to move to Hawaii with me, it was like, look, like, like, this is where I live. Like, you're not from, like, you're not really, she's not really from anywhere. She was like born on the East coast, like live all over the Midwest. Um, she moved a million different times. You know, her dad had for, for his work was moving all over the place and then went to high school and college in California. So when she moved to Hawaii, she moved to LA and she was in the entertainment business. So she was, she went from like 10th gear to first gear. Whoa. She was like crazy downshift. So she's like, yeah, it'll be fine. It'll be, it'll be awesome. Or, you know, I'm like, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. You're the right one. You got to move to Hawaii. We're going to do, do, do this whole deal. The family, the life, the whole deal in Hawaii. Um, but she moved there and melted down big time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I had these terrifying moments where I thought I was going to have to move to L.A. Whoa. Yeah. And I would have, I would have done anything for her. And, and I, and I told her, I'm like, Hey, the, the Hawaii thing doesn't work out and, you know, I'll try to move to California. So what was you know? the meltdown over? You know, just like, uh, her friends, her job, her life was all in LA, right? So yeah. she moved, she, she left everything behind, sacrificed everything and moved to where I live, where my family is, my friends. And she didn't have any of that. So, and then, you know, she had a hard time for a while, but as soon as she met a couple friends, and it was all good. And now you couldn't pry her away from the place. Now she loves it where I live. So she's a local girl now. Wow, that's interesting. But it took a while. Until, until she got friends there, she was like, the whole Hawaii thing was on thin ice. That's how it always is, though, with people. You know, when you yeah. move to a new place, it's fucking hard to be alone. Yeah. It's hard to be lonely. It is. It's lonely. It's hard to meet people that you actually like, too. Oh, yeah. Especially if you're from L.A. Yeah. And you move to Hawaii. It's like, you know, she's... She's not like a whole, she's not like a local, a local girl. You yeah. know, there's like a typical local girl. Um, and I don't get myself in hot water, but she wasn't one of those. Mm-hmm. She was, you know, she just ha- had a hard time finding that first good friend. She was Californianized. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would think that like activities, like for you surfing, obviously you would meet other surfers. Uh, bow hunting, you'd meet other bow hunters, you'd yeah. find common ground, you'd make some friends if you had to move to a place like that. But if you don't have like yeah. a real obvious thing that you like to do that other yeah. people like to do as well, I would say that would become a real issue. It would. It would because, you, it, you know, I think you feel like you lose your identity and that's no yeah. way to live. You know? No. You don't, you don't want to like move somewhere or live some life where you don't really know what's going on or don't know why you're doing what you're doing. For me, it would be super hard <clears> to not <throat> be around comedians. 
Yeah. Like I'm go. so used to being around fucked up people that make jokes about everything and anything yeah. and comedians are just so unusual in like the way they behave yeah. and you get used to them. Yeah. It becomes normal. You know, I'm used yeah. to being around the comedy store and places like that. And just the sharpness and the quickness and the pace yeah. that, that people's brains work yeah. in in comedy or even just even just in L.A., just the pace of how quick people are thinking and talking and acting and being and living. And then you, you go to a place like Hawaii, it takes most people like three or four or five days or a week to just chill the hell out and relax a little bit. Yeah. Just unwind. Maybe unplug Just on your vacation. Phone. Yeah. yeah. And that's why the whole like bow hunting thing, like how good does it feel to just unplug your phone? It feels good. Good. Turn my phone off and leave it behind. And it's just awesome. Doesn't it also feel weird when you're in a place that has no signals? Like there's <laughs> nothing going on up there. Yeah. There's no phone signal. There's no yeah. Wi-Fi. It almost feels like the air feels different. It's the ultimate, uh, it's the ultimate excuse, though, to, to why you can't get back to people because I'm terrible. I hate the phone. I hate it with a passion. Text message, fine. Email, okay. Phone, no. Don't call me. Oh, actual phone calls? Phone calls. Yeah. But some people are just way too into constantly interacting with people all the time. I want to communicate when I want to communicate. That's why text messages are so good. It's like you can text someone, and when they feel like it, they can answer. Yeah. It's all good. No, text messages are really good in that way. I I used to think text messages were stupid, and now I think like phone calls are stupid for the most part. Same. Even email. It's also, you don't have enough time with people constantly being on their phone and constantly, like, being connected to things. You don't have enough time where there's reflection, alone time, relaxing yeah. time, just thinking about shit. Yeah. And, you know, and that's, I think, for me at least, that's when I make a lot of my life decisions, like where I want to go or what direction I want to go. Yeah. When, when I'm alone and I can just think about what's going on. Like, what's what's yeah. bugging me about my life? Like, yeah. this is too busy. This is too much bullshit. This yeah. is too much hassle. I need to get the fuck away from that. And when I'm constantly on the grind, I don't think like that. I'm constantly on the grind. I'm like, all right, I got to juggle this, and then this is coming on, and then that's coming up next. Yeah. And that's yeah. what's appealing to me about a place like Hawaii. It's like, there's no juggling, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's a lot for most people, though, you know? It's 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 definitely different. It's definitely different. Yeah. Have you ever done a backcountry solo bow hunting trip? Um, not solo. No. You have to. Yeah. You have to do I it. I worry about fucking breaking my leg out in the middle of the forest. You have to do it. I have to break my leg. No. No. Bring a sat phone. Oh, okay. Yeah. Rent a sat phone. You yeah. Get a sat phone. Rental. Mm-hmm. Boom. You got your you got your sat phone. You can call. You can bring an EPIRB. Bring whatever safety stuff you want. But right. Do five day backcountry by yourself yeah it's where do you go when you do those i do them at home i do them at home in hawaii you know or i'll do it on lanai or do you go somewhere else i do it around my house where there's vast open spaces where i live so i can do it um you bring a tent in a lot of other places you kind of sort of can't do it um it's either illegal or or right it's not the areas aren't large enough to like just really get out but yeah do the tent do the super ultralight thing i bring my own water um or i'll bring a if, if there's water in the area, I'll bring a pump, whole deal, ultralight bag, ultralight tent, ultralight, the, the whole, like all my sleeping gear. A lot of times I'll do the bivy thing where you hunt all day and then you sleep wherever it gets dark, you know, and that's the best. But just the, uh, you know, what you were saying about like, you know, being alone to think finally, mm-hmm. it's like, I don't know, like even it's like we're so used to being entertained all the time. Yeah. And that's something that like people are addicted to, like whether it's your phone or even like if me and you went hunting. A lot of time, I'd be your entertainment, or you'd be my entertainment. 
But when no one's entertaining you and you're by yourself and you're just out there and you're making your own fires and you're waking up and, and you're doing your own hunt and you're not relying on a guide or a friend or, okay, I'm going to hunt over there. You hunt over here. And you're just doing your own thing. And even if you're not even hunting, just being silent, you're not talking to yourself. So you're not talking to anybody. You're not talking on your phone. You're not communicating with anyone. And after four or five days, I did this at home. I did a hunt where I left my house, had my wife drop me off, and I did this long walk over this giant mountain. Bad idea. Um, <laughs> but it was awesomely fun. And uh, I camped out for like four days, and I, I ended up hurting my leg really bad. I like pulled a muscle behind my knee. And I was planning on going back and having my wife pick me up again. And um, halfway there, and, and normally you have no service in this area. It's like a black zone. And so I hiked to an area where I just, I found service and I couldn't walk back. I was, I was too screwed up. My, my knee was too screwed up. Anyway, I called my friend who had access to, an ra- to, to a ranch that at the very top of this ranch, I could walk to it. So it was like another day's walk. And a whole day walking. Yeah. With a fucked up leg. Yeah. Slowly walking. Oof. And, and I called him and I said, Hey, you know, can you pick me up on Tuesday at the rent? And he's like, yeah, I'm going to be up there anyway. I can come pick you up at the top. And so he picks me up. And after five days, he got out of the, out of the car and he was talking to me like, I'm talking to you. And it sounded like he was yelling at me. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. So weird. I was so used to like this silence that I was sounding like he was yelling at me. And I was like staring at him. I must've been looking at him really weird. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, but you gotta do it. You gotta be by yourself, totally alone with no, like no communication for like at least three days. Do you know, uh, just just for, just for your experience. Do you know what Adam Greentree is from Australia? I do. Yeah. Yeah, I was hunting with him just uh, maybe a month ago. Oh, okay, cool. Well, he, he's a good buddy of mine. We've uh, been bear hunting before yep. and hung out with him and camp. Yeah, and great, great guy. I hung out yeah. with him in Australia when I was there for the UFC, too. He is a killer, dude. Yeah. He's a badass hunter. He's a badass hunter. He's, yeah. a, he's just a badass dude. Yeah. But he was telling me that when he goes off to these trips, because he does most of his hunts solo, mm-hmm. and that's like really, he, really weird. He yep. detaches and like centers himself. Yep. But he says he comes back after being out there for eight or nine days and... Uh, he hasn't said a word in eight or nine days and yeah. he says it just feels weird to talk to people yeah yeah it just feels weird to say words yeah it does and it's it's cool man it puts a lot of shit in perspective about what you're planning on doing and you know the next 10 years or what's happening in your life or you know whatever it is i mean it's not you know not to get deep in here but it's it's a trip man it really is i did i did like a i did nine days by myself in colorado backcountry do it yourself whoa in a tent and it snowed for five of the days. Where'd you go? Um, one time I went in uh, kind of in the mountains near Breckenridge. And then another time I went um, in a mountain range called the Santa, Santa de Cristo Mountains. It's in the su- southern part of the state in some steep shit, some really gnarly stuff. And hiked like eight miles back with my ultralight stuff. Whoa. And I had hunted in that area with a buddy of mine from home um, the year before. And we planned on going again, and then he kicked out last second because he couldn't make it. So I was just like, screw it. I got a ticket. I got a tag. I'm going by myself. So I rented a sat phone just in case, and I went there. And um, like the second day, I walked like eight miles back, like as a bird flies, right? So it's like right. really long walk. And uh, But that's where the elk were. Meaning long walk for people like, what was that as the bird flies? If you go in a straight line, it's eight miles, yeah. but you're going up and down oh, yeah. and up and down. So it's way more than that. So I parked at like 8,500 feet. 
and camped at 10,500 feet, which is the highest Ooh. water I could camp at, right? Wow. And the elk were at like 11,500 feet. So it was a lot of hiking, a lot of walking and just being by yourself. And then, and then the snow component for somebody from Hawaii, you know, it's like it was snowing every day. And I was cooking in my tent and eating and snowing and the elk were coming in at night and screaming their guts out. Whoa. Um, then there was like a crazy like lightning storm and windstorm. I had to, I had to pack up my tent in the middle of the night. I thought it was going to blow over. I thought trees were going to hit me. I had to go into like a dense uh, pine forest and reset up my tent in the middle of the night during a lightning storm. Whoa. I had to call my wife in the, in the middle of the night and like, you know, let her know exactly where I was just in case the shit hit the fan. Wow. But that type of stuff is, um, you know, a lot of bears in that area and lions and all that shit. So, um, Th- those type of experience for, for I didn't never had those kind of experiences before I started hunting ever. I never saw those, that that kind of country. I never I never put myself in those kind of situations. And and until I found bow hunting, that's that's the reason. I was never like I'm gonna go hiking. I'm not a hiker. I need to have like a purpose when I'm hiking, right? So I'm basically a, like a, a a hiker with a bow these days. And and that's what gets me out to these kind of places. And I had the some of the best experiences of my life just because I found bow hunting. Well, those those woods and like where you're going, these places where you're not going to run into any other people. There's there's a feeling that you get from those those environments. It's almost like a loneliness in a way, like yeah. a or almost like a. It's it, it, there's awe, right? Because it's so beautiful and so incredible. But it's also yeah. it's humbling in a bunch of different ways. Oh, and yeah. one of the ways it's humbling is because this woods doesn't give a fuck about you. Yeah. If you die, it's like, so what? Oh, yeah. Grizzlies keep fucking eating. Yeah. Elk keep having sex yeah. and screaming their heads off. And, yeah. And birds keep flying. And yeah. that's just how we've always done it, dude. Sorry you didn't make it. Yeah. That's it exactly does, right. It doesn't care. And you're alone, like alone, yeah. alone. The, 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 like the dark night seems darker. Yeah. You know, the, the silence seems more silent. Oh, yeah. Way and, more. You know, you get back to your tent and it's dark. What's well, a big perspective enhancer? Yeah, it is. I went to Prince of Wales last year. We uh, we hunted on Prince of Wales Island outside of Alaska. It's yeah. fucking rained every day. Yeah. Just miserable every day. And Bears? What, moose? Uh, we were hunting deer. We were hunting Sitka blacktail. Oh, very cool. But um, unsuccessful. We didn't. We struck out. But when I we came back. Them, I heard it's hard. It's real hard. There's not a lot of them. Where we were, uh, we, we, we fucked up. We got to a place where they had already moved down towards the water, yeah. and we were up high. Were you with Cam on that hunt? No, that was with Ranella. That was yeah. for the Meat Eater show. Yeah. Um, but one of the things about it was that feeling of, like, almost like a sadness, like, so beautiful and gorgeous. Like, it would rain every day, but every now and then the sun would come up. And when the sun would come up, the sun would hit this incredible green. It, would just, it was, like, illuminating, like, yeah. it, was, like it was lit up. And um, we get, we got back after seven days of this or what, however many days we were, six days, and everything in L.A. seemed so nice. It was so warm and beautiful, and I just loved it. I was so happy. And yeah. uh, I called Renella up, and I was like, dude, I don't think I've ever been happier in my life. Like, I'm so happy, and it's because I was so miserable yeah. for those days. Yeah. And that, that's another perspective enhancer to realize, like, you're so goddamn lucky you have a roof overhead yeah. and that, you know, you can listen to the radio in your car yeah. and that you could, you know, you can get around and it's easy yeah. and you could talk to people on your phone. When you're out in just the woods, woods, no cell phone service, no nothing. There's nothing. Yeah. 
We had no a, Amazon packages come into your house <laughs> and like food delivery and <laughs> nothing. No pizza. You can't yeah. order pizza. Yeah. There's fucking nothing, man. We brought some food with us and that is what we ate because yeah. we struck out. And the cold, man. Yeah. And the wet. The wet. Like, <laughs> yeah. In, until you've been head to toe soaking wet in your boots and your socks and your pants and your rain gear and your everything is everything that's supposed to keep you warm and safe from the elements is soaked to the bone. And it's getting cold. That's gnarly, man. Well, that's also where you appreciate really good gear, too. Like yeah. merino wool. That's right. Yeah. You know, uh, wool is a weird cloth in that, like, if you have cotton on and you get wet, you're fucked. But if yeah. you have wool on and you get wet, the wool yeah. actually retains the heat. So you could yeah. be wet and still warm, Yeah. which is really unusual and hard yeah. for people to understand if you've never worn wool. Yeah. Well, that's when that, you know, I mean, the... The, the right gear, you know, there's a lot of hunts that really, you don't really need the right gear for some right. hunting. But in that backcountry stuff or in real steep mountains or stuff where you have to walk far, if your shoes are wet and your socks are wet, you're going to yeah. get the gnarliest blisters and you won't be able to walk anywhere. You That's know? why I'm really fascinated by companies like Kuyu that spend all this time developing yeah. the most technical gear, yeah. like the lightest weight, the yeah. best at absorbing wind for their tents. And, and you know, they go through great lengths to engineer yeah. their products to make sure that it's just, yeah. I mean, it's a giant company that just makes ultralight gear for hunting. Yeah. It's kind of crazy that there's a company like that. Yeah, but you, you can see why when you go on the backcountry hunt and yeah. you don't have the right gear, you, you that's the last kind of hunting you're going to do like that and how you know, it's like you, a survival thing how'd you figure out like what stuff to bring and what stuff not to bring did you read up or did it, you do trial or error trial you know error? uh i right when i got into bow hunting i i got i got bored of of feeding pigs and having them come to my house and and having them come to my tree stand i got bored of that pretty quick it was super fun at first and I loved it, and it was a you know really good learning, and it was a, it was a blast. You know, it's building tree stands by myself, but I but I super quickly got bored of that and wanted to do something else. I wanted to go walk in the mountains all day long, and I I ordered Cameron Haynes's backcountry bow hunting book. <laughs> this is right when I started hunting. I had no idea who Cameron Haynes was, and I I just was geeking out on everything hunting, and I and I did some research, found that book, ordered it, it changed my life. I got like, and it's funny because I told Cameron that. Um, I I told him that uh, that I got his book and it like fully inspired me. I uh, I ordered like the, the ultralight tent, the right one. I did all this research on which one to get, which one was lightest, which one was the driest, which one was the best to cook in, which had the biggest vestibule. I ordered the right you know the right stove and all the right you know ultralight plates and and forks and camps camp cups and um, uh, sleeping bags and. A, Towel, the, the little towel that packs up tiny and the pillow that packs up tiny and the right backpack and all that stuff. So it's funny because that, that you know, when you're shaving ounces and it really adds up, you know, it's like a difference between like 80 pound pack and a 40 pound pack when you get, if you get the right gear. Yeah. Jason yeah. Hairston, the owner of Kuyu, yeah. he makes a, uh, a spreadsheet yeah. where he weighs every single thing oh, yeah. he's, he's bringing. And he packs it up, and he weighs like what's in each pack and, and yeah. what he needs for each. And he has this like this Excel spreadsheet yeah. of all the different stuff. And then that's how seriously people take yeah. it, especially like sheep hunting and things yeah. along those lines. I got so geeked out on the ultralight thing that I started like looking at all of like like um, like ultralight um, ultralight hiking websites and like getting all the tips. Like like instead of just bringing like a little spork, 
you know, one of those like little spork, mm-hmm. the ultralight sporks, you'd cut your fork in half or even like in just one third. So you just had the fork, just the fork part. So like you'd, you'd, you would shave off those ounces of the rest of the fork. It would just be the part where you just ate, you know, and, that's your, and, ridiculous. Your, and your toothbrush, you'd cut it. So it was just the part that goes on your teeth. Yeah, that's what Adam does. He <laughs> pretty, was telling me he does that. Pretty funny. but That's it's like ridiculous. The, it's, I'm a manly man. I can carry a fucking toothbrush handle. Yeah, it's funny, though, because it all adds up. when You when, you know, you don't think you need that much stuff to go on a backcountry hunt, but a lot of times you put every single thing you're going to put in that pack, and it's a lot of stuff. Right. And to shave those ounces down means then you can bring, like, a better tent, a better sleeping bag. Right. You can add up some more ounces on the other side. I, I'm a big eater, so I bring a lot of food. Yeah. <laughs> and water and, you know. Now, do you weigh out your food? Do you make sure that you have, like, intense, like, calorie-dense food? Yeah. What yeah. kind of stuff do you bring with you when you go on a backcountry hunt? Uh, oh, man, stuff you get bored of quick. Like, um, I, I bring, like, nuts, like macadamia nuts and almonds and um, pecans and cheese and jerky and um, stuff like that. And if there, Especially if there's water, that's a game-changer. If there's water where you're going to be or even anywhere near where you're going to be, then I'll bring a stove every time with oatmeal and freeze-dried meals, like mountain house meals. That, mm-hmm. Those are insane. Yeah. Do you ever and try uh, dehydrated? Yeah, those are the same food? ones. Yeah. But yeah, there's so the dehydrated and freeze-dried. The dehydrated is apparently okay. lighter. Yeah. That's why people are uh, gravitating towards dehydrated now. Gotcha. Those mountain houses are so light. I don't know how anyone, anything could be lighter than that. Well, you're shaving the handle off your toothbrush, That's son. right. Maybe they take up <laughs> less space, too. Yeah, I think that is what they're saying. But, yeah, it takes up less space. Yeah, but there's certain certain things that I can't skimp on, like food. You right. Know? But uh, you know what's really good is when you, like before I do a, a hunt like that, I'll make like two panfuls of bacon, and I'll make it all up, and then I'll bring that. And it's like that's my treat at lunch. I'll have a couple pieces of bacon. Doesn't it go bad? No, it kind of doesn't. It doesn't. Once How you, long once does you, once bacon you cook last? it, once you cook it, it depends where you hunt. Also, right. if you're hunting in Moist. in um, Arizona in the summer, then maybe yeah, or, mm. or somewhere by the beach in Hawaii, it'd probably go bad. But uh, in a normal hunt, if your if your stuff doesn't get super hot, no, it's fine. How long does cooked bacon last? You know, I got that idea I think from Cameron Haynes' book because they oh, yeah? make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches with bacon in it. Oh yeah, and. Uh, and so I would do that. I don't know how long it lasts, but don't tell me if it's. But I would. I bring it for like a five day hunt. No worries. And, and eat just bacon like at least the first three days. Once you start getting diarrhea, then you cut back. <laughs> exactly. But <laughs> but uh, um, what was I going to say? Oh, because I don't know. I just crave the fats. Yeah. It's like I'm eating. I'm eating all these nuts and mm-hmm. bars. Yeah. Nuts and bars. Nuts and bars. Nuts and bars. And all I want is fat, like grease. Well, when you're doing heavy duty yeah. climbing yeah. and things along those lines That's and right. going up and down mountains, that is what you crave. Yeah. Like you're not into carbohydrates. You're into fats. Yeah. Like your body's like we need something calorie dense. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then when I when I leave hunting, when I leave the mountains, like say I go to Colorado and I hunt for a week, and I'm like, I lose ten pounds and get all super skinny and like mountain man style i get out of there and i just want like a bacon double cheeseburger like a big giant not like the kind of the fast food place but like a big like a right. third pound burger with a ton of bacon on it with like blue cheese and avocados on it yeah just and massive just, fat and just go giant and just blow my blow myself sky high with a giant thing of fries and yeah, so yeah. That's, that's always what I crave. Well, the amount of calories that you're burning when you're climbing up and down mountains all the time, it's insane. Yeah. I mean, it's thousands of calories a day. You, oh, yeah. you literally have to keep yeah. stuffing your face just to maintain your body yeah. mass. Yeah, you do. Well, if you're a person who is doing this on a regular basis, 
I mean, you would get really good at preparing for these things. So you must have like undergone like a transformation where you started off sort of kind of like trying to figure it out. And then as you got better and better and better, you got more and more streamlined in in your approach. Like, yeah. do you, you feel like you have it down to like a science now if you want to do something like that? With what, the actual backcountry hunt or yeah. the actual hunting itself? Well, all the, all the stuff you're packing, your yeah. plan. Do you ever use Google Maps? Oh, yeah. That's pretty cool that it's you can do that now. It's incredible on your phone these days. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. amazing. Well, what people do, if you don't know, um, they they find an area, like say if you draw a tag for an area, you get an over, this is for not for you, for people listening, obviously, but you get an overhead, uh, Google Earth will give you, it'll show you where the peaks and valleys are, and it's yeah. amazing. It shows you the canyons, it shows you water sources, yeah. and you see from a satellite image, so you can literally see elk, yeah. like sometimes on Google Earth, which yeah. is incredible. Yeah. And you can really like, you know, you can get back to your camp much more, much quicker, shave oh, a lot yeah. of time, you know, don't get lost in the dark. Mm-hmm. You know, you can get to your water source way, way quicker and it's really efficient, but then you need to bring batteries to, for your phone or, yeah. or, you know, some solar panel, but I haven't really found a super efficient solar panel that'll charge up your phone and your stuff that fast. Yeah. Especially when you're in the woods, you're not getting a lot of sunlight there. Yeah, it always seems like it doesn't work as good as you hope, but. Yeah. They're getting better at those things. Yeah. They they're, are. they're getting, I mean, if you're in Arizona. You know, and you're in this yeah, of course, like yeah. mule Depends deer hunting, hunting in the desert. Yeah. You got a great shot at yeah. charging up your And you shed. can leave it in one place for like a few hours just mm-hmm. sitting there in the sun. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But as far as the hunting goes, like um, yeah, I've gotten better at like the planning and the and the backcountry gear. But that's all like you, I think you learn that pretty quick. But you found out you like you find out if you're a shitty hunter right away because you come home with no meat all the time. Right. Yeah. It's like it's very easy. It's like it's like finding out if you're good at the stock market. You know, right away you get that feedback. You lose a bunch of money all the time, right? right? It's the same thing with bow hunting. And that I love going hunting because I didn't grow up in a hunting family. I have no background in it when I was young. So I don't have like those like that the instincts like that someone would have. Like that I have really good friends that grew up with a bow in their hand and their dad did and their grandpa did and their great grandpa did. Actually one family in particular, but um God, they're so good at bow hunting. And I love bow hunting with those guys. Like guys like Adam Greentree. Mm-hmm. Um Guys like my, my buddy Justin at home, my, my friend Jason uh, on Lanai who hunts axis deer. They're like half deer, half human. <laughs> they know how to hunt, how to kill, when to move, how fast you can move, how slow, like when to slow down, when to run. It's just, I love it. I, I'm absolutely obsessed with like trying to learn to get better at it. Now, have you taken any archery lessons? Have you ever no. like gone to like a, like how did you learn how to shoot correctly? Um... I didn't. I learned how to shoot terribly, and then ever since I've been trying to correct it. So still now I now I'll shoot with guys who are really good archers, um, and they'll they'll help me. So um, so I've done a lot of work with that. But I still like my effective range is still like fifty yards. I, I've tried for a long time for thirteen years. Yeah, I've cool. tried really hard. Now when you practice, how I mean, far I can do you kill practice? a target? At, right, I can kill a target at seventy. Right, no worries. But it's so different, you know. Right. Like guys like Cam say that they, to shoot 60, you should be shooting 120 all the time. Right. To, to be able to be effective at 60, you should be shooting 120. Because of the pressure and the nerves. Yeah, there's a difference between a target and an animal. It's so totally different. Psychology. It's also the way you shoot too, right? Do you use a a, a trigger or are you using... Are I you, use a thumb release. So you're using back use a lot tension? Of back tension yeah. Right. And what kind of release are you using? I got target panic. Have you ever heard of that? Sure. Oh, yeah, man, that's why I asked you. It sucks. Yeah. You don't want, do not want to get that. But... uh. I, I hunted for years and then recently I, my friend was filming 
And as I would shoot, I would punch a trigger like crazy. And I didn't mm -hmm. even realize I was doing it. And it got worse and worse to the point where I ended up giving my releases away and stopped hunting for about four months. And all I did was go and shoot. I put this target right outside my front door, uh, like a hanging bag target. And I would, I'd walk up to it, draw my bow like one foot away from it and just practice releasing over and over and over. With your eyes closed? With my eyes closed. So I yeah. wouldn't focus on any aiming or anything. It was like a psychology thing where you have to break down your break it down Mechanics. all down into like the perfect release yeah that's called blind bail shooting for people who yeah. don't know and the, the, what it is is impact bracing your your mind gets used to the the feeling of the bow yeah. going off and so you brace for it yeah. and when you do that you start to develop these sort of patterns yeah. where you're anticipating the shot that's crazy and it can really fuck your head up it really can and i couldn't it got so bad to where i couldn't put my pin on the animal and mm -hmm. my finger on the trigger Whoa. without punching it I couldn't just, do both. I had to be, put my finger, my, my, my pin off the animal, and then my finger could go on the trigger. It was and really then, weird. It got extreme. And then once the trigger or once the pin is near the animal, then you just ah! You I just get hit really it. nervous. Yeah, it was really bizarre. And this is weird because you're such a. I mean, you're a bad motherfucker. You're dealing with giant happen. waves and. I'm, yeah, you're you're fucking surfing fifty foot high waves. If someone told me that was going to happen to me, I would have just I would have bet my life savings against it. I'm totally not that guy that like freaks out and like gets panicked out loud. like stuff like that, especially like a pin on a bow. Like yeah, like what? Give me a break. Yeah, and man, I had to work through it. I for a little while. There's there's people who like give up archery altogether. Oh yeah, it's, super common. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've I read a, a lot about it because yeah. I'm terrified of it. Yeah, don't even worry about it. Just just do your thing and keep hunting the way you're doing. But well, I've learned um, how to shoot with back tension, so yeah. I get a surprise shot That's all huge. the time. I don't I don't That's use huge. a trigger, but Cam just uses triggers. Yeah. But he he worked through it too. Everybody works through it. Yeah. When you um when you learned how to use uh, a thumb trigger and use uh, back tension, is it something you got from like YouTube videos, or did you have someone show you how to do it? Um yeah, I had a friend show me how to do it. I have, a, I have a really good friend from Spain. Um, his name is Pedro. I don't know if you know him. He's super, super oh, cool. Oh, Pedro from Spain. Yeah, Pedro no, from Spain. I don't know who that guy is. There's, a, there's <laughs> a few of them in Spain. <laughs> That's what I heard. There's a few Pedros down there. Anyway, a couple of Jose's, too. a badass bow hunter. Yeah. Badass, yeah. And really good archer. So he so he, um, he suggested, you know, like a back tension release. And Let I me explain worked, what, for people that. who have no idea what we're talking about. Um, when you're, there's a, a type of release that has, uh, when you, you sort of set your thumb on it, but you don't squeeze it with your thumb. What you do Most is you fully- Most people aren't even to know what a release is. Right. right. It's something that connects to the string on your bow. It actually connects to what's called a D loop, which connects to the string. There you go. There's a bunch of, well, those are back tension releases. Well, those are like real back tension releases where very few people ever use those for hunting. But uh, like, what what kind of release do you use? What brand? I use. I think it's a Carter yeah. release. Yeah, I um, do too. I use a Carter. But it's mainly back tension. Like I'll like I'll mm -hmm. yeah exactly like that. Like I'll put my thumb around the trigger yes. and then I'll just keep pulling until it goes off. Right. It goes off when you never know when it's going off. So because yeah. of that you're not anticipating. But it. in the in the it, but it keeps coming back. Like in a in a in a situation where I'm hunting when I'm 25 yards and I'm get full draw on a deer. And it's perfectly broadside. I have this overwhelming feeling like it wants to move. And I'll then now I've like sort of like trained myself to like slowly squeeze, mm -hmm. squeeze and pull. So that makes it go quicker. They say you should have like a mantra as in your head as oh, well. Yeah. That you should have a bunch of things you say, like line it up and yeah. release the arrow. Like that yeah. you have to have like some sort oh, yeah. of a thing that you put in your head. Yeah. Like you probably wouldn't shouldn't say release the arrow. What's yours? Execute the shot. Yeah. Do yeah. you have one? Yeah, line it up and execute the shot. That's what I say. Line it up, execute the shot. Yeah. yeah. 
You know what I do? Stay calm too. That's the other one I say. Stay calm. That's stay good. Calm. On breathe. Yeah. Breathe. Um, I do that thing where uh, I I spell lock. So L O C K. As I'm settling, you know, I get to full draw. I get my anchor. I I I start settling the pin, and I look at my 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 bubble level, and once my little checklist is all in line, and I'm on the animal. As soon as I feel like my my pin starts to relax and and st- steady, I spell the word lock and squeeze at the same time. Ooh, I like that. I might steal yeah. that. Yeah. You know what else you're gonna like? This wow. is my my friend Jeff, who basically taught me how to bow hunt. Um, Jeff Lee, the guy's a legend. He's awesome. Uh, he he told me that when he's a full draw, right before he pulls the trigger, he says, "You're gonna die, motherfucker." Whoa, yeah. that's deep. Yeah, I don't know if I like that. But one. But he told me. <laughs> but he's not like that. He's not like that. Like you would never think that. He's not like a. He's totally not bloodthirsty. He's a super ethical hunter. He just goes, man. It's a. It's a psychological thing. He goes, if you are hoping you're going to hit that animal right. when that release when that arrow goes off, if you're hoping you're not going to hit him, you're not going to kill him. It's not going to be an efficient ethical ethical shot. But he goes, if you truly believe that you're there to kill that animal and that animal's gonna die. Right then, that's it's a huge piece of the puzzle. Yeah, there's a it's website a called Iron Mind Hunting. Have you ever heard of uh-huh. this? Guy, I think I forget his name, Joel something or another. But he um, he suffered through target panic himself, and he's a SWAT guy yeah. and uh, a police officer, and developed like a whole system understanding the impact bracing and a whole system. That I haven't I haven't read it. He's got a book yeah. on it, and he's got there it is, um, and he's got Joel Turner. And he's got a whole website dedicated to controlling target panic and developing cool. like a whole system. Yeah, I have to check it out too. And it's one of those things where, you know, no matter how long you've been doing it, it's possible that this shit could creep into your brain, which is weird. Like people have been successful hunting for years and years, and then all of a sudden they get target panic and they're fucked. Almost but, everybody you, you, you meet who's bow hunted for a couple decades has had it. Yeah. Almost everybody. Everybody from Randy Ulmer to mm-hmm. to everybody. Like, yeah, Randy Ulmer has a couple of good videos on yeah. how to handle it too. Yeah. And he he says you should use a back tension release to get used to it, and or a hinge release. And what that is for the people who don't understand what we're talking about. There's another type of release that doesn't have a trigger at all. And what you do is you draw back, and just by moving your hand, you're sort of curling your pinky down and making a fist. It goes off, but you never know when it's going off. Yeah. It goes off completely uh, unanticipated, and yeah. that helps you deal with yeah. this this tension issue this uh this fucking mind fuck yeah but i i got over the hump and i'm back you're I've back had a good 2016 so far Whew. yes feels good right I, I i it feels good dude as i was panicking about the panic for a while and this year started off good i've done i've done quite a bit of hunting i went uh i went hunting for fallow deer with 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 uh remy in new zealand and had a, just an absolute ball Killed a great, a great buck. I saw some pictures. Really cool terrain. You're using that crazy quivalizer thing too, right? Where it's a stabilizer. Yeah. And a qu- I yeah, tried that for a while, but it kept getting loose on me. Oh, really? Yeah, it was wiggling around too much. It I seemed, didn't have that problem. Tighten it down too much. And it worked really good for that hunt, that specific hunt. But we hunted in this awesome terrain with this crazy rocks and cliffs. There was not one bush. There was no bushes there. There's no trees hmm. in this area. It was just like you had to use the, you had to use the, you know, the rocky. The rocky outcroppings and just the basic like terrain features to get close and we ended up um, sneaking down on this bedded group of deer that was at the base of this cliff 
go to Ben. Was, you know, go to Ben O'Brien's um, uh, Instagram. What is his Instagram? Such a steep. It was such a steep downhill shot that I had to like. You know, when you're shooting downhill, you gotta you gotta bend at the waist. You can't mm-hmm. just aim down. Or right. You'll miss. Right. And so I had to remember all that stuff in the moment. It was just a really technical shot and a technical stock. It was really a lot of fun. Well, Ben took a photo. The reason why I said go to Ben's Instagram, because he took a, it's Benny O'B or something like that. Um, he, he has a photo of you doing it where it literally yeah. looks like you're shooting from the top of a building oh, yeah. down to the first floor. Yeah. Yeah. It's a crazy picture. Yeah, and that's the kind of that's the kind of um, practice that you'd never do. Right. And a lot of people don't like set their target at the bottom of a cliff and stand at the top. And it's or really the, different. Or so, shooting up either. Yeah. Either one of those. Super different type of shot. So but that was a lot of fun and I've done some really good hunts. I did one with Remy in, in New Zealand. I did one with uh, Adam Greentree in eastern Australia. Um and what did you guys hunt in Australia? We hunted in an area that had um fallow deer mainly. There was a couple of red stags around too. Um but that was a ball. We had a lot, a lot of fun. He's and trying to get me to go hunt water buffaloes with him. I'm like, fuck you. He's been trying to get me to do that too. <sighs> These things are giant. They're just giant fucking murderous beasts. Yeah. That's not the part. To me is the, is the uh, I love hunting like in the mountains where it's cold and beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at a big valley or over the ocean in Hawaii where you can see like the, the ocean, the white caps and boats going by. Like just beautiful right beautiful wilderness and where those bulls live it's like 50 million flies on you and mosquitoes and a swamp and it's like there's snake and snakes and slugs and spiders crocodiles hundred degrees yeah and crocs yeah and it's oh man it's like I turn into a little pussy when it comes to those. Yeah, I can't. I turn into a little pussy when I look at pictures of it. Yeah, he's like, you gotta come do the buff thing, right? You gotta come do yeah. it, right? And I'm like, mm, yeah. sure mm. thing. I will for sure. Good luck with all that. Now, him and Cam Haynes went. They brought no food. Yeah, and they brought no water. They said, "Mate, we're gonna do it the right way." So they yeah. go out there, and they were bathing in this fucking lake that they yeah. didn't realize had crocodiles oh, in yeah. it. So they were in up to their neck, cooling themselves off, and then later on found out that crocodiles had slipped into this lake. So they yep. easily could have gotten eaten. Yeah. I mean, these are some of the biggest fucking crocodiles in the world yeah. that live right there. Fuck that. <laughs> I was hunting with another buddy in Australia, and we were hunting in an area that had crocodiles. And every day we had to, we had to cross a couple of little areas that had water. And I, I just, just, I didn't even think about it because I'm not like, I'm not around crocodiles, right? And he just, after the, the, the first day, he didn't really worry about it too much. Because he had, after we crossed, he goes, hey, if I'm not with you tomorrow and you cross here, make sure you throw a bunch of rocks in the water right there to make sure there's no crocodiles. Because if, they, if, if a human passes by an area where there's crocodiles over and over and over, they pattern them. And they will sit there and wait for that human to cross again and whap, get you. Oh, fuck So they're that. super intelligent hunters. Fuck so that's that. what they do. Like they actually wait for like whether it's a rabbit going by every day or a human or whatever it is, a dog, a cat, and they will sit there and wait just underwater. And when you go by, that's when they strike. So such an efficient animal too. The, the fact that they could just stay underwater for hours without yeah. breathing, they slow their heart rate yeah. down to like a beat a minute or yeah. something stupid. There's a there's a place in northwestern Australia where the waves are really good, and in that area there's a ton a ton of Great whites, tiger sharks, and ocean cro- saltwater crocodiles. That swim in the yes. ocean. Yes. For miles. They yeah, swim yes. out for miles. Yeah, and they fight the sharks. 
Fuck them. Yeah. Fuck everything. Fuck that whole <laughs> that whole place. God, yeah. that's so crazy. Yeah. They swim. Imagine being in the fucking water in a canoe and you're looking over and there's something bigger than your canoe and it's a dinosaur. Yeah. And it's swimming in the water. Yeah, and it wants to kill you. It's hungry. Oh my god. Crazy on. Yo, Australia's a wild ass place, man. It, is. it really is. Beautiful and crazy yeah. and wild. Seems like New Zealand's a better spot though. New Zealand doesn't have any of that stuff. That's like, what I'm talking about. And I'm from a place like New Zealand, right? I'm from Hawaii. There's no snakes. Yeah. We don't have deadly spiders or anything like that. And when I go to Australia, they, I get so freaked out about the snakes. So freaked out. Oh, and they I, have those brown snakes. They kill you instantly. I almost stepped on one of those. Ah, fuck. I literally... Fuck you, Adam my, Green Tree. My Why are you trying to get me to come to your house my of foot was My foot was up. My left foot was up. I remember I was walking like through this, this grass called Tussock. And it was in, and you know, Adam was like, "You're never gonna see a, a, a snake at this time of year. It's like winter time, right?" So they're all they're all down, whatever they're doing, they're hibernating, right? And so I'm walking by myself, of course, and I almost put my foot down, and I looked down, and there's a coiled up brown snake, just, and he was he was out like sunning himself, and I almost stepped right on him. Uh, one of those red belly black snakes. That thing that thing crawled right past me one day. I was with my other buddy, and he goes. You're, you're never gonna see any snakes. I never see any snakes around here. <laughs> first afternoon, I swear to God, the first afternoon I ever hunted in Australia, this guy just told me you never see a snake. Like an hour into our hunt, maybe less, he goes, "Don't move. There's a deer. There's a deer, mate." So I just stopped, of course, right? I didn't even say a word. I was like looking around for the deer, side side eyeing it, you know, trying not to say a word, trying to be completely still. And he goes, "Okay, now look down." I looked down and this giant snake had just passed me. <laughs> Completely deadly. So he said, don't move just because he didn't want you freaking out because oh, the yeah. snake was if there. If he would have had a snake, I would have flipped. Ah! Yeah. But he goes, there's a deer and he knew I'd, that's I just, it. Yeah, that's it. Red bellied black snake. That thing looks awesome. I'd like to make a belt out of one of those fucks. Yeah. yeah there's plenty awesome in Australia belt. you can bow hunt. Can you make a belt? Oh, yeah. Probably hmm. make a pair of boots to go with it. Are they that big? No. We can shoot a, a few of them. Make. make <laughs> You shoot all you want, please. I yeah. give you permission to go to Australia and shoot them all. Well, that's the thing about Australia is like you can kind of just shoot animals constantly. They have Especially so many snakes. Yeah, no one's going to be bummed out if you shoot a snake. God damn, what a beautiful looking creature! They are though. incredibly beautiful creatures. They're so shiny. I saw like a ten foot python too hunting there. <laughs> really scary. They have pythons. And I am so freaked out about snakes. They have giant pythons, giant giant pythons. I saw one is like ten feet long. <sighs> And my buddy almost stepped right on him, too. What is that? And we were stalking deer. We were stalking right next to these giant bucks. And there was a giant 10-foot snake right next to him. How fat was it? Like as fat as my forearm. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's so fucking big. I was running with my dogs once in the hills. And we ran over what I thought was a log. And uh, I, they just ran right over it. I ran over it. And then yeah. as my foot is passing over it, my I go, oh, fuck, that's a giant rattlesnake. Yeah. It was a huge rattlesnake. Like, literally, I mean, not quite as big as my upper forearm, but definitely as big as my wrist. Yeah. And it was easily seven feet long. Was that long. here by your house? Yeah, here? right wow. over here. Yeah. Wow. They're fucking, there's a few of them up here that are yeah. big as shit. It was huge. Big ass diamond head, you know, big ass triangle head. I was like, look at the size of this fucking yeah. thing. And I'm like defenseless, like like mentally defenseless, because I don't even know 
I don't know how to react to snakes. I don't know what to do. I don't know where they live. I don't know what they hide under usually. I don't right. I don't have any snake background. So right. I'm not like looking. Oh, oh God. No, thank you. Giant rattlesnake killed. Look at the size of this one. This one's like fucking 12 feet long. Yeah. Where did this guy kill this thing? Mexico, it looks like. Oh, my God. Look how fat it is. 30-yard shot guaranteed. I, I would definitely take it all day long. <laughs> if that thing was 30 yards away, I'd smoke it. With expandables, right? Yes, you got to use like a rage. Yeah, yeah rage. <laughs> do you use uh, a fixed head broadhead or do you use expandables? Look at the size of that one. Jesus Christ. That, um, that's bigger than the one I've ran over. Or yeah. At least semi. That's a big-ass snake. That's huge. No, thanks. Yeah. I use fixed heads mainly. Yeah. Yeah. I use like these little VPA heads. Uh, Vantage Point Archery makes these like little two bladed, um, same ones uh, that Adam tree. uses. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they're all you know machined out of one piece of steel, so they're they're very strong. They're very like uh, they're just super reliable heads, and they fly well. Yeah, this, that's a big debate in the archery world: expandable broadheads versus fixed head. What, what we're talking about, folks, is like expandables. As they go in, these blades open up on the side. They're like a mechanical blade, yeah. but sometimes they fail and they break off and they hit yeah. ribs and stuff like that. And there, there, there's some animals that they're better on, I mm -hmm. think. But I've used rages a bit, and and I've had really good luck with them. Actually, I've had friends that were like, "Oh man, I, I can't do the rage thing anymore." But I've had super good luck with them. Well, they're making sure. hybrids now, too. Like yeah. Muzzy makes a hybrid, yeah. and then, then there's those uh, grave diggers where it's uh, a fixed head blade and then two other blades yep. open up behind it, which yeah. is actually probably even better than a, just a regular yeah. fixed blade. It totally depends on what you're hunting, too, because like where I live, I hunt Axis deer. Axis deer were brought from Sri Lanka. They're, they're, Are they're, they really from Sri Lanka? Yeah, and they're, yeah, they're Sri Lanka the and, and India. So they're like an Asian deer. Oh. Um, and their main predator is in like in like Borneo and where, where they're from in uh, in all those countries there was the Bengal tiger. So if you look up the history of Axis deer, its main predator for thousands of years was Bengal tiger. Wow. So they have they have like a vertical leap, like a crazy vertical leap, and they run like super fast, and they always jump your arrow right. They always they always jump, jump the, the string. string. Yeah. So um, when they jump the string, do you aim low so they duck yeah. down? You catch them when you they're have ducking to down. Aim super low. Mm. And if they're alert, most of the time you aim off their body. So if they don't see you and they don't see you release your arrow, do you still aim low? I aim low. Because the sound. Just I the sound low. makes them they react. duck down. They react like super, yeah. super hyper fast. So what, what I, the, the reason I brought it up is because those mechanicals are really good, especially on axis deer, because um, even if you make a perfect shot, like if you're just an incredible archer like someone like Cameron Haynes, you're 40 yards, you're just rock solid, not nervous. You make the perfect shot. That animal could be completely spin around into 180 and you hit him in the other side or you hit him in, you know, you can make a gut shot even though you made a perfect shot. Just because they move so, so quick. So in those kind of situations, I think, a, you know, a big expandable is, is really good, you know, because if you hit him badly, those, those things cut giant holes, you know. So. Yeah, they cut giant holes. Yeah. Cam shot a bear with uh, one of those grave diggers. It's yep. one of those hybrid blades which has a large fixed blade, but then it has these two really big expandables that go to a, an inch and three quarters. And it just opened up a shot like a 300 Win Mag. Yep. It was a huge hole in the deer. Yeah. It's, I mean, in the bear, rather. And they still get the crazy penetration. Yeah. Well, he's shooting 80 pounds, too, and, yep. you know, with uh, those really thin... Yeah. Uh, FMJ deep six injection yeah. arrows. What uh, what kind of bow are you shooting with? I shoot a Matthews Halon six. Oh, those are great bows. Yeah, that's what Ben has. Same it's one. Very quiet. Right? Yeah. 
silent. So the six is the one with the six inch brace height, which yeah. is so it's a little jumpy, right? It's like that turbo cam. Yeah, they have a five, a six, and a seven, I believe. So the yeah. five is like the jump, you know, the fastest one. Right. But it's probably not as jumpy. easy to shoot. Yeah. So like with all speed bows, I think the the shorter the brace height, the faster they go. But they're, you know, my understanding is, and I'm not like the super archer guy, I don't, um, but my understanding is that the, the the longer the brace height in general, uh, the more forgiving the bow is to shoot. We just got in this technical geek talk with people no are in their kidding. cars right now going, Everyone's what the like, okay, fuck fast forward. are they talking fast about? Fast to the next subject. Yeah, we, I geek out on bows, man. I geek out on uh, all sorts yeah. of gear. I'm, yeah. I'm just, I'm a fan of uh, all the like the little tiny things that make a difference. Yeah. And you, you shoot pack them all up. Yeah, I shoot a yeah. Hoyt. They make good bows. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I shoot a defiant, carbon defiant, yeah. 80 pounds. It's a yeah. fucking flamethrower, man. Yeah, no kidding. I right? love it. They fling some arrows out fast. Yeah, um, I'm just so obsessed with it. I practice almost too much. I really have yeah. a real issue. We were talking about the new studio that we're setting up yeah. where it has a 50-yard indoor range. It's yeah, like yeah. one of the reasons why I got I'm it. I'm coming back over next time. Fuck I'm going to bring yeah, my bow. dude. <laughs> <laughs> you have to. Yeah. Um, so do you have anything planned that you're like really looking forward to? Any big hunts that you're planning? Uh, I have nothing to promote on the show. That has it. No, 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 no. Doesn't everybody come on, like, nah. have, a, have a book coming out or a movie? If they do, that's cool. If they don't, that's yeah. better. It's um, not It's not bad one way or another. I'll be at the thing tonight. And, yeah, well, um, that's fine, too. Yeah. But, but I just um, wanted to talk to you. Yeah, no, things. I do. I do have a lot coming up. I have some rad surf trips. Um, I surf for a company called Billabong. That's my ma- my major sponsor. They make clothes and Got a t-shirt suits. on right now. Yeah. So um, I write, I've written for them forever and they're awesome. But um, they have a really good amateur team. Like they're, you know, they're, they're best youngest amateurs from around the world to ride for Billabong. They activate them and take them on a couple trips a year. So they're taking them to Bali. And so I'm going to Bali to go and, and help like mentor them, surf with them, help train them and help get them ready for like the next step. Right. So I'm bringing my son. My son is nine. He likes to surf. Um, so I'm actually going to go to Bali. This is the first time this has ever happened. I'm, I'm going to go to Bali for like a, a work trip, which I do that pretty often and go, go on these surf trips that are really a work trip. Um, but now I get to bring my son cause he likes to surf, which is really, really cool. Wow. Yeah. That's badass. Yeah. So he, my, my son now that he, he likes to skateboard. He's a little skater rat, rat. Um, and I tried, I was, I hoped that he'd be into surfing, you know, cause that's what I love to do. And now that he likes to surf. I'm just so stoked. And now I'm taking him to Bali. So do you think he's going to try bow hunting? He already bow hunts. Really? Oh, yes. He's nine and he yeah. bow hunts? Yeah. Has he been successful? Yes. Whoa. What has he shot? Boars. Whoa. Yeah. You're a nine year old kid and you kill a wild boar. Yeah. I'll text you some pictures. You'll, you'll, he's savage too. He looks, he got really long hair and he's in the photo with the boar. He's got all this face paint on his face and he's got his, <laughs> he's got his little badass bow right there. His arrows all pass through. Wow. He shot three now. And That's incredible. Right through. Yeah. What is, what, what kind of bow is he shooting? He shoots, he shoots 30 pounds right now because he's tiny. Yeah. He's nine. Yeah. <laughs> he's nine, but he's small. He's a small nine. That's he's small. It's pretty fucking strong for he's a little, strong kid, little kid to shoot 30 pounds he's super strong do you have him lifting weights he's ripped really no he's dead serious <laughs> he's ripped he's got a six-pack <laughs> he's never stops moving he's got a lot of energy he's one of those kids right he's uh he um he's at skate camp right now up at woodward west wow so i dropped him off at woodward west and i got some work to do in southern california here um so, so he's at skate camp ha- hanging out right you were now. saying there's something wrong with your back yeah what's going on uh, I don't know. That's what I'm doing here. I'm just, I mean, I, I, I had to get an MRI this morning. I kind of just tweaked my back like uh, about nine months ago. And doing... it, it was really bad. Um, I was doing a workout and it hurt it. What part of your back? 
my lower back. Mm. Yeah. I got a machine in the back. I want to show you once we're we're done here. Is it a reverse hyper? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know it. Yeah, it's yeah. good. Have you heard of them before? Yeah. I've yeah. used them a little bit. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. They're the shit. They're yeah. really good. If you can, if you have a place for them, you should get yeah. it. It's a fucking phenomenal yeah. piece of machinery. So because... I got really into CrossFit. So oh, I, was yeah? using the, the, I, was, I was using the reverse hyper a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. So is this before or after the injury? Um, like before and after. Yeah? Yeah. Does it help Reverse at all? hyper helps, yeah. It helps stretch me out and loosen it up. There's also some, uh, we have some decompression stuff in the back, some yeah. different uh, spinal decompression yeah. things that you, I could show you that'll help. Okay. I'm kind of an expert now in healing up uh, back injuries. Oh, yeah? I had a pretty severe uh, bulging disc issue from yeah. jiu-jitsu that yeah. made my hands numb. Wow. Yeah, but now it's gone. It's completely That's gone. That's crazy. Yeah, I don't have any bulge at all. I had an MRI, yeah. it's clean. I've never had back issues, and uh, like nine months ago, I was training. The thing that happened, I think, the thing that happened is, I was training like really, pretty seriously for like I got really into it, I got really excited about it, and just loved training. It was like one of those things I just loved to do. So I'd train like five days a week. I got really like muscular throughout my like my my hips and my quads and my core, mm-hmm. um, and uh, just got super super developed. You know, kind of like my muscles got like cables, and um, and then I just I had like a five month uh, period of time where I was just traveling like out of the country for like five months and I just couldn't do the same kind of workouts. So I was in these really mellow workouts and kind of not working out too much. And then I got home and I had like a month to get ready for winter. And so I was like, you know, I ease back into the workout thing. And the first workout I did, my body just got pissed, just locked up. Uh, so you tried to go just a little too hard, a little well, too quick. Or... I was trying to go really mellow, but I was going relatively mellow compared to what I was doing before. But my body just was like, I don't know, it just was, it was pissed. Do you ever fuck with yoga? I love yoga. I do. I really like it. I just, the yoga classes around my house are never at the right time and I don't do it by myself. Uh, just get a DVD or, I know. you know, or YouTube, man. There's a lot that. of videos yeah. on YouTube. I, know. I need to do that. That's, man, that's been a saving grace for me. It's been yeah. a big help. And and also, there's a lot of yoga exercises that I didn't even realize they, they before yeah. I did it. They, they act as a spinal decompression. They yeah. stretch you out. You feel your back pop, pop, pop yeah. as you're, you're doing some of the stretches. I actually really love yoga. Yeah. It's fucking awesome, man. I go to yoga classes. My wife's super into yoga. It's I'll one of those things, though, like for a dude, especially a manly surfer, bow hunting type dude, you tell people, yeah, I'm really into yoga. Oh, what are you, sucking dicks over there in that yoga class there? Sucking? Uh, yeah. it's, like, it's, it's one of those, it's, it seems like a, uh, I'm a not super feminine macho, thing though. or a, well, you're a bow hunter and you surf on 50 foot waves. Yeah. On paper, you're a, a pretty fucking macho dude, fella. Yeah. No, I, but if you if you talk to anybody who knew me well, they wouldn't they would never describe me as macho. Well, I don't mean macho like a in a dumb way. Well, I have I no mean, problem walking into a yoga class, is what I'm saying. Of course about. you yeah. don't. But saying it, like saying yoga to people, I'm yeah. not saying. Obviously, I yeah. don't have a problem with it. I do it all the time. But I'm saying there's a sort of a preconceived notion yeah. about yoga that it's like it's not a hard thing to do. It's not like yeah. a manly thing, but it's one of the most difficult things to do that I have ever done. That kicks your ass. Fuck yeah, yeah. it does. Especially hot yoga. Yeah, it does. It's unbelievable how difficult it is. My wife does this stuff called booty yoga. Have you ever heard of that? Booty yoga. Booty I like it already. Yoga. It's I like, like it. yoga. She's gonna kill me. Yoga slash kind of like semi like twerking, but it's like a dance yoga. It's like high energy, but like crazy yoga poses. But they, it's like gnarly cardio too. And the girl Jen who teaches the class is badass, and it's the gnarliest workout. I've and never done it. 
Okay, that, I was I'm, asking I'm you. too macho for that. For booty yoga. Yes. Yes. See, I, I knew mean, it. I've, I knew see, it. I couldn't. Uh, <laughs> what is this? This is booty yoga? Jamie found it already. So this girl's throwing like a back kick. Yeah, that's not squatting. what I'm talking about. That's definitely not what I'm talking about. Yeah. Well, I think everybody. Yeah. I don't think booty yoga has an official designation, so I think a lot of people call their stuff booty yoga. But the 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 class that my wife does is it will kick your ass. It's like really high energy. It's really crazy cardio, and it's yoga too. So and there's twerking. There's a little bit. Are there dudes? And in I think that they class? play like Little Wayne and mm. like the gangster rap, and out. they just they just I'm go out. off. You know, they they, they get nuts. There it is. Yeah, that's probably more. Oh <laughs> Jesus like, Christ! Yeah, my wife's much hotter than than her. <laughs> <laughs> Booty yoga with twerking plus Little Wayne music yeah. equals. I'm hey, out. anything that keeps keeps the 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 misses. I'm sure. In shape and nice and tight. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm a giant fan of that. For them, yeah. I it's awesome for them. I am all about it. Yeah, if girls want to do this I'm all day. Absolutely all about it. I'm a big fan of what she's doing here in this I video. I don't see any downside. I, I really don't see don't. anything. I'm no. agreeing with you 100%. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, man. Thank you very much for coming no, here. I re really appreciate yeah. it. And uh, Shane's got a Twitter, but he doesn't use it. So uh, if you see him, say hi. <laughs> yeah. I got an Instagram that I use. Okay. That's the only, I think that's the only And what is the Instagram? One. Instagram is Shane Dorian. S-H-A-N-E-D-O-R-I-A-N. Well, thanks for coming in, man. Yeah. I really appreciate it. I really Thank enjoyed you. talking to you. Yeah, it was fun. All right, folks. We'll be back in a little bit with Ari Shafir. Bye.